Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Wednesday, October 19th. That means it's time for another episode of Destination Health. We've got a great lineup today. I'm really excited. In fact, we are starting off with a returning guest. We have some great topics today. Uh, Lauren is also joining us this morning, so we've got a lot going on, and we're going to jump right into it. I'm going to bring in Lauren first. Lauren, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. I'm excited about the show today. I I'm have, having uh, Alana on. You know, I have a lot, and Alana asked how long we might keep her and then said she has lots mm -hmm. of time. I think the last time a guest told me that, we did about three hours. We'll have to see how it goes today. <laughs> I, have, I hope you're ready. <laughs> I know. I have a lot of stuff I want to talk about. We haven't had her on the air in years. Uh, so a lot of new stuff I want to talk about. So we're going to jump right into it. We're not going to waste any time. We're going to bring Alana in. Uh, Alana Collin, author of 10% Human. Alana, welcome back. Hi. Nice to be back. Oh, and you sound great. We are testing uh, some of our technology. We have you connected uh, through the web. And where are you in the world yeah. right now? I'm just north of London in the UK. Got it. Okay. So uh, our first international guest on our new technology. I love that. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yes. So you wrote a book. I read it years ago. We had you on the air. Um, 10% mm -hmm. Human. Boy, I remember when I saw that title, I thought, what? And I read the book. <laughs> I, I was just blown away by that whole concept that we're only 10% mm -hmm. human. Can you explain that to us? We have a lot of new listeners. So let, let's just start at the beginning and kind of set the stage here. What did, what did that book mean, 10% Human? So that refers to the number of cells in your body that are actually human. The other 90% are microbes, mostly bacteria. So actually, since I wrote the book, there's been a bit of an adjustment, and we now think it's more like 50-50. Same number of microbes, but they reckon there are more human cells than we used to think. So if I wrote it again, it would be called 50% human. Yeah. Um, but the concept stands that we are actually chock full of microbes, and they do something really important for us. Um, and they're absolutely crucial that we have them there, and we should be looking after them. Very good point. You know, after I had you on the air, I read another book, and I can't find it. I've got, I read so many books, I've gone back, and I can't seem to find the other one. They were actually making, and maybe it wasn't a book, maybe it was just an article. They were claiming that if you <laughs> measured it a different way, and I think they were using genetic material, they actually claimed we were yeah. only like 1% human. If you measured it by yes, genetic I material. Also wrote, yeah, I wrote that in uh, in my book as well. But yeah, something more like 1% when you take the number of genes that we have, which is about 23,000, and compare it to the number of genes that all your microbes combined have, then yeah, you're you're only about 1% human. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe it was your book that I got it from then because I went back, I thought it was something it else. Been, yeah. It probably was your book. Uh, that's just crazy. You know, I remember, mm -hmm. uh, I think it was through like the 80s, 
they were so excited about the genome and, you know, mapping the human gene- mm-hmm. genome. They thought it was going to solve all kinds of problems. We were going to cure every disease. You were going to have customized medicine based on your specific genetics. And they mapped the genome. Yeah. You know, we now have DNA testing that solves all kinds of crimes and, you know, does all kinds of great stuff. Mm-hmm. But nobody ever talks about the health of it anymore. Nobody talks about curing cancer with it or turns out cancer probably isn't a genetic disease most of the time anyway. So that's why. But the Mm -hmm. other thing I thought that was crazy. I would have assumed and I think most people would since we seem to be the most complicated, you know, organism on the planet. We've done things that no other organism has ever done. You would think our genome would be really complicated, except I think there are like earthworms that have more genes than we do, right? Yeah, there's really not much correlation between the number of genes and the kind of complexity or sophistication or, um, you know, points in evolution, which a species evolved. It's really nothing to do with the number of genes. Um, so even plants, they multiply their whole genomes um, over and over again. So they end up with huge numbers compared to us. Um, so yeah, it is really quite surprising. And in fact, I think there was a, um, a sweepstake and um, the lady who won the sweepstake as to how many genes they were going to turn out to be in a human genome um, guessed higher than the number that there actually are. So every um, professor and scientist who had any insight into it guessed significantly higher than the number that we actually have. <laughs> So yeah, it's re- it's really a strange one, but um, of course our microbes make up for some of that stuff because they do so many things for us. So their genes are providing functions which our genome doesn't need to. Yeah, which kind of goes back to the whole point: is are we really human, or are we this collection of you know bacteria and other things? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, like. We really are. We're, some people refer to us as a holobiont and others as a, a superorganism. And really, it's not just us, it's everything because we have evolved together. So um, we have these species that belong with us and they've evolved with us for, you know, thousands, tens of thousands longer, you know, all the way back to the beginning. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's it's a sophisticated system and we, we can't really operate um, without them. You know, it, it, we think humans run the world. Maybe bacteria really runs the world. <laughs> well, viruses have certainly had a hand in it lately, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, there's a couple different ways we, we I want to approach this. And right now I want to just go through kind of how our microbiome affects us. You know, what what effect does our microbiome have on our health and our daily living? I know there are things like uh, one of the big ones you've talked about, weight, uh, our immune system, Mm -hmm. uh, our moods, Mm -hmm. our metabolism. Um, Why don't you just give us a rundown of of how all of this bacteria, our microbiome, and it's not all in our gut, right? No, it's not all in our gut. So the majority of it is, but we also, we're basically covered in microbes on every surface that we have. And that kind of includes our interior surfaces. So if you think about your lungs as some, you know, they're effectively connected to the outside of your body, as is your gut, your tube. Um, So the whole way through is a kind of external surface of you. 
Um, the biggest concentration of microbes is in your large intestine, your colon. And that also happens to be where the majority of your immune system is based. And that's, that's how we are so connected to them. It's via the immune system and pretty much every um, system that microbes affect, as you were saying, you know, our mental health, um, our weight um, and our metabolisms and so on, our immune systems, that they all come about via this connection with the immune system in the gut. Um, so microbes, um, they live off the food that we eat that we can't digest, and that is dietary fiber. So it's a kind of carbohydrate. Um, so if anyone tells you to have a low-carb diet, don't forget you still need fiber. Um, but that fiber goes down through our small intestine, and it doesn't get digested because we don't have the enzymes to digest it there, and it goes on into the large intestine. And that's where it meets the majority of our microbes who digest it and turn it into compounds that then uh, filter through into the blood and affect our immune system and actually even affect our brains directly. And um, so a lot of the things that people struggle with these days in terms of health, we sort of moved on from um, being dominated by infectious diseases and infectious diarrhea and stuff like that that was, uh, were the major killers 100 or so years ago. Um, and now we are um, more often affected by non-communicable diseases like allergies, um, autoimmune diseases, um, obesity, uh, cardiovascular diseases, cancer, and so on. And they are all linked um, very strongly with the immune system and therefore our microbes. So that's why we need to look after them so much. Um, and that's, you know, that they're a sort of go-to for working out how we should improve our health. So when we talk about fiber, and I want to come back to that later, um, would that also mm -hmm. include resistant starch? Yes. So okay. it's, it's well, dietary fiber includes all kinds of fiber. Um, and then you have various different ways you can break up fiber into, into different types of fiber, uh, like soluble and insoluble and so on. Um, they actually all matter. So um, it's there are different benefits to different kinds of fiber. And uh, it's not necessarily that helpful to try and think about the different kinds. It's more helpful to think about just eating lots of different plant foods. Um, and when I talk about plant foods, I think most people think about fruit and vegetables. But um, it's important not to forget that there are loads of grains, nuts seeds, just legumes, beans, all sorts that we can eat, lentils, um, they all matter too. And when you start seeing the whole spectrum of plant foods that are available to us, um, that really helps in working out how you can move from a more heavily um, animal-based diet to a more heavily plant-based diet. So we should stop right there and I want to set the stage for you. And, and this is one <laughs> of the reasons I'd love to have you on. Um, we work in the holistic, natural health world. We've had tons of guests on our show. We're really involved in that. Um, it would probably horrify you to know that one of the diets I'm recommending most these days is carnivore. And I there's okay, the, yeah. yeah, so it, and I want to talk about that. Um, I do believe that there were lots of hunter-gatherers that really probably survived more on animals. My theory, there's this is probably one of the things in the natural health world that's still argued like crazy. You know, we have people on mm -hmm. both sides, extremes. Um, 
we have really good results with um, keto diets, which can be very low fiber most of the time, and carnivore, which is, if it's true carnivore, there's no fiber. Like, uh, how does that work? Uh, so well, just that, and we, we've been doing this. We work, and I think you know this, specifically with truck drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, in the UK, I don't think it's any different than it is here. That's a horrible profession for your health. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Truck drivers are outrageously unhealthy, mm-hmm. uh, overweight. Di- in the U.S., you know how bad diabetes is worldwide. The U.S. is probably the leader. And mm-hmm. in truck drivers in the United States, the incidence of diabetes is double the general population. Yeah. That's yeah, just, that's just insane. It is. So that's yeah. our first, that, that was always our first problem to solve. How do we get, I mean, we have, we've had people that are over 400 pounds. Mm-hmm. How do we get them healthy? You know, where do we start? We have to address the weight. We have to address the diabetes. We have so found by far nothing. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, there's so many things to say on this topic. And actually, the, the book that I'm currently writing is about specifically about weight and obesity and the science behind it and um, put, puts forward a, um, a new scientific understanding of it, which is that it's not caused by food and um, lack of exercise, but rather that there are underlying causes that influence what you want to eat, how much you want to eat and how much you want to move. Um, but to go back to the, your comment about diet, um, I don't think there's as much of a contradiction there as you might imagine. I think the issue is, so when we look at um, prehistoric diets and even at um, diets of people who are still living a hunter-gatherer lifestyle now, so for example, there's um, the Hadza tribe in Tanzania. Um, who were very, very well studied because they're so um, close to what we believe was the ancestral um, way of living. And they eat a diet that is something in the region of 70 to 80% carbs. And throughout the year, they get 25% of their calories from honey. And in one month of the year, they get 75% of their calories from honey. So, wow. you know, that that is basically pure sugar. So yeah. any idea that and, and they are lean, you know, they're not they're not even slightly. Overweight. No doubt. Right. And, yeah. and we're talking, no you know, our range for a healthy BMI is something like 18 and a half to 20 to 25. And um, they would rarely go above 22. So they're properly lean. Um, they have access to plenty of food. It's, they're not in a starvation situation at all. Um, but yeah, but even though they eat a, a diet that's high in carbs and often also high in uh, very refined carbs, i.e. sugar, honey, they still manage to be lean and healthy. And they don't suffer from the kinds of um, diseases that we in the West do so often like diabetes, um, cancer and allergies and so on. Um, so the interesting thing there is that yeah, as you say, there are lots of people who do seem to benefit from a keto diet or um, a carnivorous diet. I think what's going on is that um, we have damaged our ability to metabolize carbohydrates. So once you get to a certain point with your health, actually carbs can become bad for you. Uh, But that is not the natural state of a human being. The natural state of a human being is that they should be capable of um, 
running on carts with a few extras. And um, what what we've got into is this situation where diabetes rules and our metabolisms can no longer take um, carbs and deal with them appropriately. So then, you know, maybe your only way is to be uh, keto or carnivorous. But I would say that um, the important thing about carbohydrates, if you want to include carbohydrates in your diet, if you can, is not... Um, well, the easiest way to think about it is where are they digested? So you don't want to be eating so many carbs that are digested in your um, upper intestine, in your small intestine. You want to be eating carbs that are di digested in your lower intestine, your your large intestine, and because they are the ones that are high in fiber. So if you eat something that's um, uh, very refined, then pretty much all of it is going to be digested in the upper intestine. And, um, Which does cause other health problems. We yeah. deal with it, uh, SIBO, um, yep. too much bacteria in the in the upper digestive in the tract. Intestine. We deal yep. with that a lot, right? Right. Yeah, and all sorts of well, I mean, then you get into all sorts of digestive diseases, which are again complicated to manage with with what should be healthy food because something has gone wrong. Um, but yeah, if you're if your gut is able to take it, then leaning towards foods, carbohydrates that are high in dietary fiber is the best way to go. And it, the, it, sometimes it takes time. Sometimes you need to build up slowly um, and start with just a bit because you have to effectively grow the populations of microbes that should be in your large intestine. And if you consume a load of fiber and they're not there, then you're going to have a load of gas and other problems that will just make you feel awful. Um, so... Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a complicated situation. Naturally, we should be able to um, digest carbs, but not refined ones so much. And if you've gone past that point, then maybe a carnivorous diet will help you more. So it's interesting. I can't wait for your new book, by the way, because I, I really haven't seen anybody explain it the way you just did. There, there just seems to be this fight behind, you no, know, look at the results we get. And I'm kind of the same way. I'm like, I can't argue with the results. Mm -hmm. The people that come to us, we, we originally tried to start with, you know, what they call a paleo diet or a primal diet, which did include mm -hmm. all of those things in, mm -hmm. in really unlimited quantities. The idea behind it was if you're eating the right food, you won't overeat. You know, your body mm -hmm. will naturally regulate. They, you know, you talk about the, the, Hadza and I have them on my list. I also had the Maasai. Um, they don't mm -hmm. think about calories or, you know, no. I, I checked. They don't, they don't have gym memberships. And yet, like <laughs> said, they're incredibly lean. Well, they don't spend all day talking about on, what they eat. On that topic, <laughs> someone else who you should get on your show is um, an incredible American scientist called Herman Ponza who wrote the book Burn. And he studies the Hadza, he studies energetics. So how many calories do the Hadza use? And typically they, they walk a lot, right? And they typically walk something like two hours a day. And what he did was he used doubly labeled water, which enables him to tell exactly how many calories they, anyone, anything uses. And he compared the Hadza to women in New York. So women from the Hadza tribe to women in New York. And he found that women in New York um, who walked 20 minutes a day, burnt the exact same number of calories as had the women who, who walked for two hours a day. 
crazy. So he effectively yeah. found that whatever you do, whatever exercise you do, you will balance out to a point where you're burning the same number of calories regardless. So that effectively eliminates the calories out, the exercise side of the equation. Um, and, uh, you know, Herman Ponza's take on it is that it's therefore down to food. My take on it is that it's down to neither and it's down to underlying processes that influence <laughs> how we eat, how how calories are dealt with within the body. It's calories within, not calories in or calories out. Um, and, really yeah, interesting. <laughs> what, what's his last name? Could you spell it for me? Ponza, P-O-N-T-Z-E-R. Got it. Got My English accent giving me away. Oh, there's so many things I want to talk about here. Um, <laughs> I, I, I really, so let me give you my experience with this um, mm -hmm. because I, what you just said and explained might make a lot of sense. So when I started this, my own personal health journey it was a little over eight years ago, mm -hmm. I... I had thought I was pretty fit most of my life. I was uh, active my whole life, very um, athletic. I involved in a lot of sports. Uh, I owned a gym at one time at 19. It was I opened a gym at 19. So I, I, was, I coached wrestling, very active, thought I was healthy, um, loved to cook. So, you know, not a lot of processed food, but eh, maybe mm -hmm. a better version of the standard American diet, but still you know, kind of the standard American diet. Mm -hmm. And at 50, I realized, you know, you used to say you were, you know, your BMI was high because of all the weightlifting, which it is, but mm -hmm. I hadn't been weightlifting really for about 20 years. Um, so I was really about 40 pounds overweight, no doubt. Mm -hmm. And I had joint pain and, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, um, digestive okay. issues. and I, I did start with the paleo, then moved to grain-free, which made a huge difference in the joint pain and some other things, digestive issues. Uh, mm -hmm. And it was kind of a paleo diet. Then I, you know, keto came along. I thought, let me try this. It was the most incredible thing I'd ever done for my health. My energy <laughs> levels went through the roof. The weight was coming off at a pound a day, and I was eating any time I wanted to eat and as much as I wanted to eat. But it was about 80% fat was my diet. Mm -hmm. But I felt incredible. And to this day, um, actually right now I'm doing it. Um, mm -hmm. I'm pretty heavy keto carnivore right now. And okay. it, I usually do it when I'm preparing for something, like an event, a speaking engagement, because my brain seems to work better. You know, mm -hmm. I just think clear. I have more energy. So, mm -hmm. but but I always try to experiment with things. So I've gone back to over these eight years on and off many times, more carbs and, and really good carbs though. Like you said, no junk, mm -hmm. real food, nothing processed, honey or fruit, um, more starchy vegetables, things like that. Mm -hmm. Every time I did, I started to gain weight and my joint pain came back. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think the way you explained it, Makes sense. I mean, my mm -hmm. body still can't handle, but now in the last year, I can go back and eat far more carbs and I don't gain any weight. Uh -huh. But the joint pain comes back. Uh -huh. Well, my take on that, um, please bear in mind I'm not a doctor. 
I have a PhD and I've studied all of this. <laughs> well, then you are a doctor. But, well, not a I'm not doctor. a medical doctor. <laughs> but my take on that would be that you had unhealthy gut microbes and that when you were consuming um, uh, a normal diet with the carbs in, you were feeding those unhealthy gut microbes and they were making you feel rubbish. And when you leave those out, there's effectively nothing feeding them because everything's getting digested in by your own enzymes. So nothing's going through to the gut microbes. So you're kind of starving out those bad microbes that are giving you joint pain and messing with your immune system and messing with your brain. And um, ultimately, what you're trying to do is rebuild a community of healthy gut microbes. And that's really hard because once you've killed off um, certain species or communities, you can't necessarily get them back all that easily because where are you going to get them from? Um, so one way of doing it is consuming things like fermented foods, uh, you know, as simple as yogurt, you know, or even um, kefir, kombucha, so, um, kimchi, that kind of thing. Anything that's been pickled or fermented or um, brewed in some way. Can they have live bacteria in them that can repopulate your gut and help you to become more healthy? We we actually teach fermentation hugely. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, I, I ferment everything. <laughs> I really, That's great. I ferment things just to see if you can ferment them. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and and yogurt as well, which is something I want to talk to you about in a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so many Real places quick, I want to go with this. Let, I, I wanted oh, to go ahead, that, that when we do, if or when we do recommend the carnivore diet, we are also recommending fermented foods oh, as well. That, that diet. Thank you, Lauren. <laughs> okay. so, we, otherwise, it sounds very startling. There is definitely a big push for fermented foods and a variety of fermented foods as well. That's excellent. So I mean, much. I think I think that's a it's a sound strategy. If you if finding that carbs are intolerable, then it's a it's a sound strategy to bring them back in with the good good microbes um, until you can you can handle more of them and slowly reintroduce um, more and more um, of the carbs. You know, starting at the good end of the high fiber carbs and then moving moving up towards the things that perhaps are really tasty but not so good for you if if that is something that you can handle it makes sense yes yeah, so much so that yeah lauren i'm glad you brought that up so much so that we're getting ready to release kind of the official version of our next diet and we're actually calling it fermented carnivore oh wow okay yeah I, and i also think actually focus on the fermented part uh-huh the, the great thing about fermented foods as well is that um, for truckers, you can keep them, um, exactly. you know, they, they stay fresh yes. without being in a fridge and, yeah. um, you know, they yeah. might just ferment a little bit more and generally that's okay for a few days. So, um, yeah, they're quite handy as foods to take around with you and just open up, have a, have a little bit of a snack and you can get some great flavors as well in terms of um, like nice spices. I love the Korean kimchi. Um, and um, also with kefir, you can basically have any flavor you like, um, just as you can with yogurt. So, you know, I think it's a, and kombucha is a fantastic soft drink. If you, because one of the things exactly. we should be doing is getting yeah. rid of um, of soft drinks that are full of of chemicals that are not even food. 
and full of um, sweeteners that damage your health and ruin the way that your body processes carbs. And kombucha is fabulous because it's got great flavor. It's got um, live microbes in it. The microbes consume the sugar. So it's actually low in sugar. And it tastes like anything you want it to taste like. There are even kombuchas I've seen that are made to taste like Coca-Cola. So, it's yeah, that's uh, a fabulous drink to get uh, get into if you don't like drinking water. I actually have a kombucha that tastes just like beer. That's oh, really? <laughs> yeah, they, they, put a bunch of, they put a bunch of hops in it, and it ends up tasting a lot like beer. It's really good. Uh, I, I, I need to find one of those. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um Oh, I want to, where did I want to go with that? Hold on. Okay, we'll come back to that. Here was a question I want to make sure I don't forget. Lauren, I know okay. you want to know about this one too. The first time somebody called me on the air and, you know, after reading your book and understanding, you know, a lot of this and knowing that, you know, the huge part of that microbiome is in the large uh, intestine, the colon. Mm-hmm. I had somebody call me and say, I don't have a colon. They took oh, it wow. Out. Okay. So they'd have uh, a reflection. Uh, how does this work? <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, that's a good we've, question. We've, we've tried, we've had to deal with several of these people now. I mean, mm-hmm. we do, we still do one-on-ones with people and Lauren does, you know, our, our one-on-one work with individuals. Lauren, you've dealt with this several times, right? Oh, yes. And, and actually, I'm at a loss because I don't really know what we don't know what to do <laughs> right. yeah. you know, no i mean i i'm it that is a really tricky one it, it depends how much colon they've lost and also what parts of the colon because different parts of the colon do different things um but um i'm imagining this is not something i'm knowledgeable enough to advise anyone i'm imagining that you have to limit how much fiber you have because there's nothing to break it down for you um yeah it's certainly tricky and, to have uh, a normal diet if you're missing parts of your digestive system. And where do the microbes go? Well, I would think that they just go. The ones that would be there are just not there because you have different microbes living in your small intestine from you do in your large intestine. You have right. different microbes at the proximal so, end of your large intestine from you have at the distal end of your large intestine. So you're going to yeah, you're going to end up with a different community that that misses certain microbes. Well, wow. here's the thing, Alana. You just said you don't think you're qualified to talk about this. <laughs> I can't find anybody who is. I was hoping you would be. <laughs> I'm sure some, there must be some gastroenterologists who really know their stuff on that one. Uh, well, my, I, I, we do have a, an excellent gastroenterologist that uh, is coming back on the show with us. It's been on several times. So I... You were a hope on this one. He's our next <laughs> hope. Um, he, yeah, he actually uh, created an amazing product. He's a, a traditional gastroenterologist, but he really believes in natural approaches. And he uh, uh-huh. created a natural uh, supplement to fight SIBO. And it works oh, okay. fantastic. I mean, yeah, it's really, uh, it's called Atrantil, just an amazing product. We use it a lot. So I guess... I'll have to ask him this question and, and hope somebody has an answer to this. It seems crazy because of all, if we know that these microbes do all these things, our immune system, our mood, our metabolism, our weight, our and so many things, well, mm-hmm. what happens if they're just gone? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I, it is a really important question. I'm absolutely certain there are people who who are thinking about it and who who know more than I do about that. Um, yeah, I hope you I just got to find them. them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All well, right. Since we're so we're talking about removed body parts. I do have a question about the yeah. appendix because a lot of people seem to think that it's not very important, and you know, I've heard several times that it could potentially house some of our like. Uh, microbiome is that absolutely it's, yeah oh. absolutely is it their safe um, space? It, it's at the beginning of your colon and it is a yeah like you say a safe space it's a repository for so the idea of it is is probably that um if you have something like you know cholera or dysentery or some form of infectious diarrhea that just completely wipes out the contents of your colon your appendix um, manages to, because it's slightly separated out as this little pocket on the side of your colon, it can kind of close itself off and let let everything be wiped out. And then um, your colon can repopulate from what is inside your appendix. Um, so we know that when people have their, um, have their appendix out, they are more susceptible to various diseases that can be, you know, related to the gut or related to the immune system. Um, so it's not something, you know, sometimes you've got to have it out and that's just how it goes. Um, but in the 90s, they were whipping everyone's appendices out. And um, <laughs> and now yeah. now they're much more cautious about it. They're much more likely to use antibiotics to try and um, uh, cure a rumbling appendix. And, um, yeah, it's it's understood now that it does actually have a function. I think it's rare that, that there are things in the body that, aren't supposed to be there because generally evolution takes away the unnecessary stuff as, as well as adding on things that we that we like. Yeah, one of my favorite phrases when we talk about this is we don't have any spare parts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I generally feel that that's true. An, yeah, this isn't an Ikea desk. They didn't send you three or four extra bolts and washers just in case. The, yep. the stuff we have, we need. Since they decided to slow down on yanking out uh, appendixes, they made up for it with gallbladders here in the United States. They just <laughs> take those things out whenever they feel like it anymore. Yeah, and the tonsils too. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, there's enough, which is a big part of our immune system. But yep. uh, you don't need those. Let's get rid of those. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, not ideal. One of the other things we've been doing with uh, fermented and culturing, are you familiar with Dr. Davis, Wheat Belly and Supergut? Uh, yes, I haven't read anything of his, but I, I know the I know the books. Okay, so in Supergut, and we've had him on the show several times, in Supergut, his new kind of thing um, is is finding specific bacteria that, we think we know create certain benefits, you know, through testing and then culturing those specific bacteria to create, you know, enough numbers of that bacteria to have an impact. And he does it through yogurt and culturing at very specific temperatures for much longer than commercial yogurt. Commercial yogurt's cultured for like four hours, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and according to him, the bacteria doubles every two hours. Roughly, mm -hmm. you know, and they're mm -hmm. obviously that's an average. So in a commercial yogurt, you might get double what bacteria you started with, maybe twice. Um, mm -hmm. He's culturing his yogurt between 36 and 40 hours. You're getting like 18 doublings of the bacteria. 
Right, and, okay. and get huge numbers of bacteria, but he's using very specific. Uh, the, what, the first one we he started with was a strain of L. ruteri. And okay, yeah. The, the testing seems to show that it increases levels of oxytocin and testosterone. Um, okay. And there's some pretty good benefits when you do that for somebody. Oxytocin is the love hormone, or the, uh -huh. yeah, yeah. I think the love hormone, makes you want to love other things. Animals, are, you know, it's just that feeling, babies, everything. So mm -hmm. um, it makes that you seems feel like content to be in company. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think the world needs a lot more oxytocin. So yeah, that seems like a good it's thing. really a fascinating um, molecule. It has all sorts to do with social interactions and even negative social interactions um, can be ruled by oxytocin. Yeah, it's really amazing and um, shows us so much about why it's important to be social as a human, why it's important to be part of a community. Exactly. Uh, we, we evolved in tribes for a reason. Um, and, you know, it seems like the farther we go into society, the more separated we become. You know, mm -hmm. we don't really live in tribe. I, you know, we even call our, our group here a tribe just for that reason, because mm -hmm. we think we need more of that inner, you know, human connection and oxytocin. That was pretty exciting. And then it, another big issue for us, I've talked about it for years, is the lowering of testosterone, primarily mm -hmm. in males, but even in females. I mean, females need some amount of testosterone as well. And, you know, with soy, um, is it will start to create estrogen dominance in the body. So, you know, soy, mm -hmm. even though it's been called a health food, I really don't think we should be consuming it. But this, this L-ruteri um, supposedly increases testosterone as well. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. How, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a back, Ethereum that's used a lot in yogurt making. It's used a lot in probiotic um, formulations as well. And I mean, probiotics are, in a way, the same concept as highly fermented yogurt because they're just a way of consuming huge numbers of bacteria um, in, a, in a small amount, you know, a small volume well, that, of, of food. Yeah. Um, and that's actually what we're starting with. We're, we're buying a commercial probiotic with that specific strain of L. ruteri and yeah. then culturing it that, you know, doubling it 18 times to get mm -hmm. big numbers. Mm -hmm. And it seems yeah, to be working. Yeah, as long as you're making sure it's um, fed, then it, yeah, it can do that. And you, you can oh, actually, you can ferment pretty much anything, as I'm sure you're aware. You can ferment anything using probiotics. So you could you can ferment vegetables with a probiotic capsule if you want to. We we have one yeah we have one of our members actually um, works for us and with us that is doesn't want all the dairy of the yogurt and fermented sweet potato. Mhm. Mm yeah, it's fabulous. Yeah, you can so. you can even do um, water kefir. Uh, yes. So you make yeah. kefir straight from from water instead of using milk. We. We have a national brand here in the U.S. that I believe they have a couple different lines. They do have a kombucha, they have a cider tonic, and I believe that one of their lines really is a water kefir. Uh, the brand mm. is Kavita. I, I don't know it. Do I don't think we have it here, but yeah. Yeah. That, one that of our of biggest national. 
Yeah, it's one of our biggest national brands here in the U.S. It's one of the easiest to find. But I and, and they don't call it kefir. But when I look at it, it, I think that's what that one is. I think it is a water kefir. Okay. Uh, yeah. The I I love the fact that there's some validity to finding these specific bacteria and culturing them. And um, you know, one of the when I had Dr. Davis on, I I think you'll appreciate this. He said when it comes to the microbiome. It's pretend it's 1980 and you're looking at an Atari computer. Does that seem <laughs> about right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we just, we just don't get it yet. And, you know, sometimes you may hear about these studies that say probi- probiotics don't do anything. Big studies shows that there's no difference in health. It's like saying we took a thousand people and we gave them, um, paracetamol, acetaminophen, and um, and it didn't it didn't do anything. Well, it's amazing if you've got a headache, but it doesn't mean it's going to cure cancer. And that's where we're at with probiotics. We don't know which species and which strains do which things. And it's even, you know, you can take a single species and you can, some strains of it won't help and other strains will. And some strains will help autism, but others will help weight. And that's where we're at at the moment. I mean, even as simple as do probiotics help you lose weight? I'd say the overarching answer is yes. Which strains, which species, which combinations, which dosages? We don't know. So, wow. you know, there's a, a, there's a bit of potluck going on with it. Um, and there's a bit of doing some research and finding out, you know, if you are trying to solve a very specific problem, then... Yeah, have a look around on the internet and see and try and find some good sources, some high quality websites, things like Healthline, which um, quote very nicely from site cite their sources and and do their research. Um, there's a a probiotic chart that you can look up that is looks at the evidence level for different um, illnesses, different conditions, and particular strains of bacteria, and even their um, even which products contain those strains. Um, that kind of thing, it, it's worth doing, but you have to understand that you are taking a bit of a gamble and that you may be spending money on something that might not do as much good as you're hoping. We'll get there, though, because there are now they're, they're referring to um, uh, very specific products of probiotics that are we get called things like next generation therapeutics or biotherapeutics and so on where they are very much tailored to a particular problem and they're going through much more rigorous testing um, and clinical trials and so on, whereas probiotics tend to be viewed as um, food supplements and therefore they don't have to have the same kind of clinical trials and testing and approval. Um, So we will get there and there are more and more products that are in the pipeline for treating things very specifically. Uh, But yeah, at the moment it's... It's not sophisticated, unfortunately. It's yeah. a sophisticated subject. We just don't know much about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which, which in a way is pretty exciting because it seems like there's an awful lot to learn that should be beneficial. So, uh, I, absolutely. I, yeah, I'm kind of excited about it. But you know, when you mentioned the cost of probiotics and do we really know if they're working, and it's why we really focus first on lots of fermented foods. It, it, they're cheap. Yeah. I, they, they cost you nothing, yeah. a couple of tablespoons of salt and some water and you're all set. Yeah, absolutely. And then you're getting the benefits of the, of the plant food as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's 
I, I much prefer doing things in a, in a, you know, eating food is better than taking pills. Yes. So, yeah, it's, yeah. That, it's that way around that you're getting the probiotics, you're getting the prebiotics, as in the fiber that, that the, the probiotics are fermenting on. Um, when we long culture the yogurt, we're adding inulin to feed the bacteria. Fabulous. Yeah. So yeah. inulin yeah. or potato starch, but we found that inulin seems to work much better as far as the final product being smooth. And But uh, yeah, we're putting quite a bit of inulin in there to feed the bacteria during that time. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and much of that will be consumed, but any that's left behind will also continue to feed them once they're in your gut and, and help otherwise. And again, you, you have to be a little bit careful with um, how you build up to consuming these things because... Um, if you suddenly consume a large amount of inulin, it might make you bloat or feel sick. And um, so, yeah, taking it step by step is important and seeing how your body reacts. Everyone's going to be different. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Um, so one of the topics I did want to spend some time with you on today, uh, we, we've touched on it and I want to go back to it. Uh, your PhD is in evolutionary biology, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, I um, was a wildlife biologist, and I I studied um, the evolution of bats. So quite quite far removed from what I do these days. Um, but yeah, that's actually how I got into this topic as well because of what happened to me while I was while I was busy working in jungles and so on. Interesting. I yeah, I think I saw something on the the website. You're a an accidental gatherer of tropical diseases or something. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, I seem to have collected quite a few in my time, and I, I yeah, I, it's a it's a hazard of the job, and I know a, I know a number of other people who have also managed to to um, accrue a few diseases. Um, I got bitten by ticks was probably my worst encounter, and and uh, managed to pick up some something along the lines of Lyme disease from that. Oh boy, um, yeah, which messed me up for a while. I've had malaria as well, and you know just. Various different infections, um, yeah. but uh, it was a great job. <laughs> well, I'll bet. I'll bet. <laughs> Interesting. Um, certainly some job hazards there, though, no doubt. Um, so, there really are, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, if, if, so you do have a, you know, real background in that, that, that like the hunter-gatherer. I know you focused on bats, but um, this is, is, is a topic. Yeah, I, I mean, I think... It's evolution for me is just the most beautiful thing, and it's so it it makes sense of so much when you consider why we are how we are, how we got to be how we are. Um, so there was a big focus in Ten Percent Human, my my first book about the microbes, um, on how we evolved to be that way, and um, I love telling stories in that book about other species as well and what they do and how they've evolved. Um, because it really sheds light on um, on how we work and how our microbes work with us. Um, so yeah, evolution it, it very much informs what I do now, um, and understanding what's natural and what is pathological as well, and what's come about because of the way we live now—not just our diets, but our exposures to chemicals and the way we sleep and our exposure to light at funny times of day and shift work and all of that kind of thing. Um, that that really fits in with the under, with understanding our evolution enables us to understand why those things would uh, change the way our bodies work as well. 
Yeah, speaking of evolution, I remember watched a documentary, and I think it might have been called The Perfect Human Diet. It's been several years ago. But one of the analogies that they used that I absolutely loved, they were standing on a football field, American football field, um, 100 yards long. Uh And they were standing on one goal line looking down the field. And while they're talking about the topic, they're walking all the way down the field. And they get to the other Uh goal line. And when they get down to that goal line, they get a little tape measure out and they start measuring inches. And they said, Mm -hmm. the walk that we just made is how long humans have been on the planet. And these last couple of inches is how we live now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that that seems so crazy. And you can can do that in so many ways as well. Like humans are a minute to midnight on the clock. And I I have it in my book as an arm span when you take the whole of... um, human history, uh, sorry, the whole of evolutionary history before humans, um, humans are the final, the final few millimeters of your fingernail on your left hand when you, when time starts at the beginning of your right hand. And, you know, that really makes it clear just how much changes over time. And, uh, yeah, and what we, what we've done in the last hundred years is just beyond belief in terms of, um, the difference between how we lived you know, a hundred years ago, but even more so a thousand years ago and so on. So one of the things I've always tried to do um, as best as I can, if you look at health today, um, whether you think, you know, being a vegan is the healthiest human diet or a vegetarian or eating only fruit or eating only meat or all these crazy diets we've come up with. um, Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I just lost my thoughts. I wrote two notes down here and I just looked at the other one. Um, <laughs> oh, I know what it was. You can find proof and studies for all of them. I mean, we could argue yeah. all day long and everybody can point to, oh, no, look at this study. It proves my point. Well, this study disproves mm-hmm. your point. It's, and it's, you can find not mm-hmm. one, you find hundreds to support whatever mm-hmm. you think is right, and then but the other person has a hundred studies that. So what I've always tried to do is say, wait a minute, I, I I can't possibly determine which ones of these studies were done properly. It, there's so many factors mm-hmm. in that. So what I've always tried to say is, but wait a minute, how did we evolve? What mm-hmm. what was happening while while we evolved? And, and so that's why I always mm-hmm. try to go back to this hunter-gatherer model as best as we can. I mean, we're not positive we yeah, know absolutely. exactly how they lived. Yeah, we, well, yeah, that, that is part of the trouble with it. So nutrition studies is notoriously difficult because if you change one thing, which is what you're supposed to do in a scientific experiment, keep everything steady and change one thing, you can't do that with nutrition. Right. Let's say we want to change how many carbohydrates someone is eating. Well, we either have to increase the number of calories they eat <laughs> or we have to decrease how many of another macronutrient they're eating. So there is no way to do that study without changing at least two things. So that's, you know, that's the first issue. It's very difficult to do a high quality nutrition study. Um, the second issue is that we don't know exactly what our ancestors ate and uh, people around the planet ate different things because they had different things to eat and their circumstances Absolutely. were different. So, for right. example, 
Inuits had a much higher fat diet um, than people living in sub-Saharan Africa who had a, an extremely high carbohydrate diet. The, the point, though, is that neither of those groups of people suffered from the diseases that we suffer from in the West today. <laughs> right. So yeah. from that, you can say, okay, well, macronutrients don't matter. Macronutrients shouldn't matter because you can be healthy on either of those diets. Exactly. And many people were for a very long time. So um, that's why I've come to the position, and I think many other scientists have come to the position, that when you're looking at these questions and you've got your face with conflicting data on is a low-fat diet healthier than a low-carb diet or the other way around, and you've got equally you know, evidence on both sides, um, then you start to say, well, is it actually not about food? Is it something about how our bodies are working, how we're responding to food instead? Is it, is it not the, the diet and the exercise that makes us overweight and unhealthy? Is it something else that makes us process that food badly in, within our bodies? And that leads to the ill health. That, that underlying factor and the food is just the, um, the how and, and not the why. So I just had an interesting thought. Um, mm. I absolutely believe what you were just talking about, that what our body can deal with better, it may be based on you know where our ancestors were because they ate a very different diet. But if, we, and you know, I've studied this myself, um, 98% of my genetics come from north of where you are, pretty far north from where you are, um, you know, northern Scotland. Okay. So uh, that's a pretty cold climate. I mean, if we follow it around the, uh, if we follow it around the world, it's like Alaska here for us. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, it's a very different climate. So probably not a lot of plant food in the diet, especially certain parts of the year, unless it was fermented and preserved. Um, probably a lot mm -hmm. of animal products. Maybe that's why I do so well on that diet. I'm not sure. Um, but mm -hmm. I, I just got thinking, if we took a human body and we just studied the body itself, I don't, do we, can we really find any differences? Can we find any major differences in the physical body of somebody whose ancestors came from, you know, a farther, far northern climate or somebody who was right on the equator? I don't think there are many physical well, I can differences give you in the body. examples of how... I can give you several examples of how um, people's ancestral um, populations have influenced their diet. So, for example, um, many Asian people are not able to metabolize alcohol and they flush. They get a red flushing um, feeling and look in their faces if they consume alcohol. And whereas most people from a white background are able to consume alcohol without flushing. And that's because they have an enzyme called alcohol dehydrogenase, which enables them to break down the byproducts of alcohol consumption um, quicker. And um, so they don't get this flushing reaction. And the reason for that is likely to be that the, the way that Asian populations managed um, to make water healthy to drink was by boiling it. And then they added tea to make it taste nice. Whereas the way that uh, white populations used to deal with um, water that might not be sterile was by fermenting it and turning it into a, um, a low alcohol beer. 
So we have this evolutionary history. Um, when I say we, I'm talking about white people because I'm white. Yes. Um, that enables us to um, to break down uh, alcohol and not flush. Whereas Asians don't have that evolutionary history. They've got an evolutionary history of of uh, consuming tea. And likewise, uh, many Asian populations have a history of consuming soy, whereas many white ancestral populations don't. And so they're probably more capable of breaking down the phytoestrogens and being less responsive to them as people from a white um, ancestral background. Uh, there's also milk drinking, which is um, very common to white populations who live at high latitude, and also a handful of other populations like the Maasai, who um, were milk herders, uh, goat herders and cow herders. And so um, white people and people from, with those ancestral backgrounds of other herding populations are able to consume lactose uh, beyond their infanthood, whereas other people aren't. So there's Uh-oh. What just happened? I, I don't know. I think... Lauren, are you still hearing me? I'm still hearing you, yes. Can you okay. hear me? Oh, now you're back. Oh, there we go. Yeah, you're back. Oh, okay. Sorry. It, it, might, it, might be because, <laughs> it might be because I let the, the screen go blank on my phone. Oh, okay. I'm not sure Good. where you heard me up to. Um, uh, but I was I was talking about milk. Yeah, we I think we got mm -hmm. most of it. It was just a couple seconds ago that you went quiet, so it was less than fifteen okay. seconds. So, yeah, and I, when you were talking about the alcohol, I was going to say, isn't dairy another good example of that? And you went right to that. So, absolutely, uh, yeah, absolutely, and and uh, probably it's likely that populations that live near the equator, where you can uh, grow vegetables all year round, are more likely to have higher carbohydrate diets, whereas populations that live um, further north or further south are more likely to have more protein and fat in their diets to cope with colder winters and um, less availability of fresh um, plant foods. So yeah, I do think your ancestral history can influence um, your the diet that is most suitable for you. So mm -hmm. is it possible then, like I said, I, I haven't read of any real physical differences that they find in people who came from different parts of the world, but there's probably a huge difference in their microbiome, right? Well, absolutely, uh, there is, uh, which is also obviously it's difficult to, to tease apart what is ancestral and what is because of um, our, our lifestyles. So there's a huge difference between the microbiome of people living in the West and people living in, for example, sub-Saharan Africa, um, especially when you take samples of people who, who have traditional diets in rural areas as opposed to people who are living in cities in sub-Saharan Africa, say. Um, but yeah, it's not clear how much of that is down to lifestyle and how much of that is down to sort of genetics or ancestral conditions. One of the um, concepts I've been reading about since the last time we had you on, and I'm, I'm curious as to your take on this, um, you know, we're all trying to feed our microbiome and we're even getting down to these specific, you know, microbes that maybe we want more of this. And um, mm -hmm. th this seems to be like a really hard thing to measure. It's probably why we don't know a lot about it. But um, there seems to be this concept that you have this base microbiome that you were kind of born with, 
that doesn't necessarily Mm -hmm. change a lot. And then we have these other microbes that no matter how much we try to introduce them, they don't take up residence, but they may still be doing something on their way through. Is that true? Yeah, that's right. And, and yeah, and, and again, it's, it's complicated and not clear to what extent it was because we were born with them. There are so many things that it can influence which microbes you have. So if you've had lots of antibiotics, you're obviously going to end up with different microbes. If you have those antibiotics early on in life, in in your first three years, for example, that will have a bigger impact than if you have antibiotics later in life when your microbiome is more established. Um, if your mum had antibiotics, it affects what your microbiome is like when she was pregnant with you. Um, whether you were born by C-section or naturally, and whether you were breastfed or bottle-fed, um, all of these things play into what your base microbiome is. And like you say, it does seem to be possible to amplify certain populations um, of microbes in your gut through things like diet. But then perhaps if you stop eating um, your new diet, they don't persist and they go away again and you end up back where you started. Um, so that's, and we don't really understand what feedback loops there are that are maintaining some microbes whilst allowing others to uh, to die out if we're not constantly feeding them. Um, that's something that, you know, scientists are working on at the moment. Yeah, boy, it, it certainly seems like we have a lot to learn. You know, I, I do want to go back to the... Uh, um, the Asian thing in the diet. And this this one actually got me in a lot of trouble. Uh, I don't know why. It's just the, the political climate here in the U.S. And at the time I was talking about it, there was an, uh, actually a kind of an anti-Asian thing going on here, um, which just exacerbated it. What I was talking about wasn't political at all. I didn't mean it to be political. It's totally health. And I, I'm not going to stop talking about it because I do think we can learn things this way. Um, but You know, you had mentioned that Asians have probably um, evolved to be able to handle the soy better. And I believe that Um, Mm -hmm. we've seen how many times where, uh, uh, you know, not even necessarily a hunter gatherer tribe, but when some of these people who have been living their traditional ways move into modern society, how fast they go downhill. Is that Mm. is that a true phenomenon as well? Uh, Yes, Um, there's lots of research on uh, Somalian um, immigrants to, I want to say Canada, I believe it's Canada, and in Somalia, their populations were perfectly healthy, but when they moved to Canada very rapidly, um, I believe children started to get autism. or children who were born there were much more prone to autism than than they were in Somalia, or the people who had remained in Somalia were. And I think um, there may be something there that they that there's some level of adaptation to the diet and the lifestyle in Canada, for example, that enables people who are, have lived in Canada for generations to cope with it. Yeah. better than yeah. people who have just moved there. Um, I don't know what the mechanisms are, uh, but yeah, there's it's bigger changes are more dramatic 
and and have it's obviously they're going people are going from one state to a completely different state and that's always going to cause trouble there was a guy who um in my opinion very foolishly decided to um have a, a fecal transplant i take the microbes from uh, somebody else <laughs> as a as a kind of stool transplant um he he was American and he did that with, it might even have been the Hadza actually, I, I can't quite remember, but somewhere in Africa, it made him exceedingly sick. Um, <laughs> oh boy. So yeah. very sick, even though the whole idea of it was to try to get the the quality, the health and the leanness, right. um, you know, the metabolic health of the people that he was, that he had sampled from. Um, but yeah, you you can't just shift your entire body in one move um, without expecting consequences. And so I think, yeah, those big changes are likely to to cause more damage than a more subtle change over time. Yeah, I think so. And you do hear stories about those. Go ahead. Those fecal implants, you know, you, you hear stories about these fecal implants and I've heard like several success stories. So that's interesting. That um, it's not something that you want to be doing. It sounds like it's something that you want to take very, very, very slow. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there they certainly are. Fecal transplants are used quite commonly now for um, an infection called Clostridium difficile, C difficile, um, because it it's a it's a bacterium that takes over your gut and expels every other microbe and makes you feel. Um, very, very ill and in fact kills large numbers of people, tens of thousands of people every year. Um, and it can be responsive to antibiotics, but it's not always because they just keep hold and they grow back again once the antibiotics have gone through or they become resistant. Um, so fecal transplants are really great for that um, because they seem to just restore the gut to uh, a state, a healthy state again. In those cases, they are using feces or fecal samples from people who are likely to be very similar. So they're from, okay. you know, the local area. Um, they used to use family members. Now right. they more often use um, stool banks where they've someone's been thoroughly tested for all sorts of diseases and you can't donate if you have anything that's likely to be linked to your gut microbes. Um, for example, um, obesity, depression, allergies, also immune diseases and so on. Um, and they also like to use people who haven't had antibiotics for years and years. Um, so that, that's quite a different situation from going to a different continent, to a different to a place where people consume different food and have been exposed to different um, bugs. Um, it, it's talking parasites as well as, as um, bacteria and, and using that as a, as a stool donor. Um, that's that's not a good idea. You know, the the last time I checked, I don't know if this has changed much, not, but um, the UK was, like you said, big into this. There are even banks. As far as I know, the medical community here in the US is still very resistant to this idea. Uh, they are in the UK as well. And part of the problem is just the regulation of it because it it can't it doesn't count as a drug so it doesn't have to go through the same regulatory steps it, it counts as a biologic and it's because it can't be uh, produced in a standardized <laughs> way it's really difficult to test so um 
Yeah, there are lots of people working on like a, a fake fecal transplant where they effectively take all the fecal microbes and put them in a capsule or whatever, yeah. put them in a slurry where they, they control it and they know exactly what's going in there. And then I think that will probably get some more traction. Yeah. Um, but it is used, I mean, in Australia, there's a, a doctor who, used, he's a gastroenterologist and he has used it for all sorts of gastro issues but found it's been beneficial for people for their other issues as well. For example, I think Parkinson's and um, weight problems and MS and all sorts of things that we know are connected with the gut, but it hasn't been approved for those. Um, and he's also trying to make a, a capsule to make it easier to, to do that. I have a different theory on why it's not catching on here in the U.S. Um, I, I think it's just because they haven't figured out a way to profit off somebody's poop yet. <laughs> yeah, well, there is that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the more likely reason here. Um, going, mm-hmm. going, and by the way, you brought up fecal transplants. It's on my list. Um, it was something I wanted to talk about, so I'm glad we got to it. Um, going back to the, you know, the, the hunter gatherer and you talked about, you know, human and then even pre-human, um, going back that far, um, Mm -hmm. you might get a chuckle out of this. I used to use, uh, kind of an insult, you know, if somebody was doing something stupid, I would call them a Neanderthal. Then, you're, you're insulting 3.4% of me when uh, you say ho- that. Hold on. I insulted, uh, <laughs> I don't know the total, but I did the DNA thing, and that's one of the things they look for. I have more, yep. I have more Neanderthal DNA than 98% of the population. Uh, yeah, I'm there with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't do that anymore. Uh, I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. That, that report came back, and I'm like, Neanderthal genes, really? Oh. How many do I have? Oh, well, you have more than 98% of the population. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> You're in that group too, huh? I am, yeah. I'm I'm highly Neanderthal as well. I think I, I think something like 3.4% of my DNA is Neanderthal DNA, which puts me, I think, something like the 95th percentile. <laughs> I wonder if it's that part of the world, maybe. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's linked to because the overlap in human and Neanderthal populations was um, uh, around, um, was it not in sort of Eastern Europe? And I think so. Yeah. Um, Northern Asia or something. I'm I'm not exactly sure. But yeah, I think there's a there's a link there. Well, I, I think both of us turned out OK. <laughs> I'm fine with it, you know. Yeah. I, I'm actually five foot eleven, so I'm uh, I'm not your average Neanderthal. Well, uh, maybe I am. I'm, as a male, I'm five five. So, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, maybe I did get some of their characteristics. <laughs> so, one something of the, to be proud of, I think. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, one of the uh, <laughs> one of the questions I had for you. Um, I wanted mm-hmm. to get to it early, but we'll we'll do it now. What's the biggest thing you've learned or discovered since you published the book? Oh, 
Um, on the same topic, I assume you mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On the on the um, microbiome in, in general, or or even something along I, the lines of you know evolutionary biology in humans. I I would say that the the thing it's what I've ended up moving on to, which is um, obesity. The the understanding that um, that food and diet and exercise aren't aren't the cause of obesity. They are that um just a middleman really and that we are being very much damaged by our exposure to environmental chemicals um so things like pollution and ultra processed food and um uh, cosmetics and medication and you know some of these things are necessary and some of these things are part of our lives now and very unavoidable um, but they are changing our biology, and um, we need to know an awful lot more about that to understand how they affect our microbes, how they affect our cells, and, and what they're doing to our health. Well, I, I can't wait for your book to come out because this really is kind of my my area of interest right now. When you talk about there are some things mm-hmm. we just can't avoid, absolutely. You, you just can't. If you're going to live mm-hmm. on this planet, you can't avoid them. Um, there are others we have mm-hmm. some control over. There are some I think we have total control over. Uh, so what we're trying mm-hmm. to do is is put together you know, a program of – I'm actually working on a protocol that I call Living Wild. You know, How close in, in the modern world today, how close can we get to living that way? You know, what what things mm-hmm. can we do, um, you know, to get benefits? It, one of, it, and one of the things, Rihanna, I'm going to go maybe way off track here for a second, but we started this health journey about eight years ago, and we used a, a keto diet in the beginning, worked fantastic, um, found some people didn't respond as well as we had hoped to the keto diet. We didn't really know why. Um you know, did some carnivore and found some people who didn't respond as well to keto, did really well on carnivore. And then just, well, 2020, the world changed, right? Mm -hmm. And what we started noticing was clients we had been working with a long time who had dramatically changed their health. You know, they had lost a hundred pounds plus, they had gotten off mm-hmm. all of their prescription medications, um, cured things that the medical community say can't be cured. There are doctors that still say you can't cure mm-hmm. diabetes. What, what are you kidding? We do it every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll say, well, <laughs> yeah. no, it's in remission. But it, it's gone. You know, it's not there. Mm-hmm. If I were to bring you one of my patients, clients, and, and you didn't have any medical history on them, could you prove they were diabetic? And most doctors mm-hmm. are stumped. I don't think they could. Mm-hmm. So it, wouldn't you call that yeah. cured, right? I, yeah, that's actually brought up some really interesting questions in my mind about w- what that does mean. Because if you simply take away, for example, um, a, a, a simpler example would be celiac disease, where you're intolerant to, not intolerant, you cannot have wheat of any kind, of any level, because it destroys your gut. And that's an autoimmune process. So people with celiac disease are absolutely fine if they don't have any wheat. However, they are not cured because if they did have wheat, then it would come back. But then that, that yeah, it's obviously a more complicated situation with diabetes, where if you, 
if you went back to the same diet as you had before, it will does that mean back. you're I, taking it out of remission or does that mean you're just re-inducing it? It's, um, yeah. Is it, is it really, Very interesting. is it really a disease or is it a condition? And I don't, you know, it might be mm. semantics. We're talking about words, but, um, but yeah, if it, it, we tell people all the time, there are no, well, there aren't any real temporary diets that are going to do much. We do use some, you know, real therapeutic diets for short periods. But if you go back to the way you used to eat, you'll get the same results you had that time. N nothing's going to change. Mm -hmm. um, we could, mm -hmm. here's another thing. Um, we can easily make somebody diabetic. It's not hard. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, we, we, we can create diabetes in somebody. It's not hard at all. Load them up with carbohydrates sure. long yep. enough and they will become insulin resistant. Yep, yep. So Not necessarily everybody. Maybe not. That's an interesting thought too. You're right. Maybe, maybe you couldn't in some people. I don't know. That's an interesting thought. Mm -hmm. Certainly in this country, just about everybody I come in contact with, it, it, it wouldn't even be hard. You know, it'd be pretty darn simple, you know, the, the average person you deal with today. But maybe in other cultures or, you know, different parts of the world, it would be much more difficult. Certainly not here. And the U.S. and the U.K. are just about identical in all of these topics. Mm -hmm. so yeah, what, yeah, that's very true. What we started seeing, these people who were really healthy for years, lost the weight, off prescriptions, not diabetic, feel better than they have in three decades, uh, all of a sudden they were contacting us again and saying, things aren't working as well as they used to. I've gained a little weight. My joint pain is back. Our initial response is, what changed in your diet? Nothing. Nothing changed. Mm -hmm. And at first you don't want to believe them. You're like, no, I get this. I know when you change your diet, things change. If you didn't change your diet, nothing should have changed. We were completely wrong. Diet is a big, big part of this, but there are other factors. And what we finally realized was this was stress. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. We really, blood sugar goes up in, in a stressful situation. And in, in a fight or flight mode, blood sugar can go through the roof. And if you're constantly living in this fight or flight mode, because of all the stress that's been introduced all of a sudden, our whole world changed and not in a good way. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we thought, okay, here's, here's an area where you can't really avoid this. It's really difficult. I mean, you can turn off the news mm -hmm. if you want, but you show up for work and they're telling you, you have to have a vaccination or you lose your job. How, how do you avoid mm -hmm. that? So we realized mm -hmm can't avoid this what can we do to fix it so we're, we're actually working on a stress protocol and the in, again i've been working on it for about two years i i'm almost finished with it and the approach we took at the beginning i tried to take the same approach everybody else was taking around stress you have to avoid it and minimize it in your life you have to meditate more you have to be more mindful. You have to get away from things that stress you. And that seemed logical because that's what everybody was saying. Well, then when we tried mm -hmm. to do it in practice, it wasn't working. We were getting zero results from this. 
And I thought, what are we doing mm-hmm. wrong here? And then it dawned on me. And the, the analogy I use now is thinking that you're going to improve the stress response in your body by avoiding stress is like thinking you're going to run a marathon by avoiding running. <laughs> it doesn't work. You can avoid stress you all you want. You have to become resilient to stress. Exactly. And nobody was saying that. They were just saying avoid it. Mm-hmm. Life's too stressful. You got to get away from it. Well, it, and it does work a little. If you go take a vacation and you're totally disconnected from the world and your job and it, yeah, your stress levels will go down. The minute you step back into your life, they'll go through the roof and they start doing a lot of damage. So we realized mm-hmm. we have to, we, we, the analogy we use now is we actually call it a stress muscle. You have to build your stress mm-hmm. muscle, just like you would build stronger muscles by using resistance. We need to mm-hmm. use, use stress in these very specific forms of stress. We found four that really work well. Uh, can be done just about anywhere, not even hard to do in a truck. We've, we've come up with ways to do this. And, and the four we've found, there are more, but these four seem to be really effective. You don't have to spend a lot of time on them. And like I said, they can be, get, be done in a truck pretty easily, which is a big part of what we do. And they, they really are um, both cold and heat exposure, um, cold plunging, cold showers. Okay. Uh, infrared uh, sauna and red light therapy for the heat and the sweating and um, Mm -hmm. breathing, uh, the Wim Hof breathing method, and then resistance Mm -hmm. training, resistance training for the muscles. Mm -hmm. And we've put it together in the the entire protocol. All four can be done in less than an hour. And you do them two or three times a week. The results have been fantastic. But what I looked at, aren't we really creating – a lot of the things hunter-gatherers experienced every day? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the, the strange thing about um, the health environment now is that what, we're, what we've done is create all these technological solutions that have made us more stressed, and then we are trying to reverse them by getting back to how we used to be and back to nature. Um, my... My similar approach to yours would be looking at the causes of inflammation and the ways of lowering inflammation. So you can create a list of things that create inflammation and a list of things that reduce it um, and try to minimize the ones that create it and um, maximize the ones that reduce it. And that includes things like walking in nature um, and being exposed to different weather conditions and um, socializing, having a community reduces inflammation, as well as uh, the more physical things of eating anti-inflammatory foods and avoiding pro-inflammatory foods. Um, and exercising is anti-inflammatory, uh, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's um, it amounts to the same thing that you're you're not treating stress you're treating your ability to to handle and the things that come your way and most of the and inflammation was a big part of how we got to each one of these modalities you're exactly right it's one of the quickest ways we can see if something is working inflammation can change in the body pretty quickly so you get a pretty good idea Mm -hmm. if this we can even measure inflammation in the body and we do 
And if, mm-hmm. if we're trying something and we see inflammation lower, that's a pretty good sign. Um, it, it doesn't mean it's, yeah. you know, but it, it's a good first sign. And that is how we got to a lot of these. But then when I was all done and I started looking at it, I thought, we're just recreating what hunter-gatherers went through every day. They did not wake up mm-hmm. in a beautiful, you know, 68-degree room and then spend all day in a 68- to 70-degree, you know, air conditioner, heated room. That that didn't happen. They were really cold. Mm-hmm. They were really hot. They were, um, they were in contact with the earth 100% of their life. How often are we in true mm-hmm. contact with the earth? Mm-hmm. Some people, I think the other major influencer is sleep. Oh, that's my next project. And exposure to the <laughs> right light that, levels. That, that's my next project. We do, we're finishing up the stress protocol now. It's been two years I've been working on it. My next protocol is sleep. There are very few good solutions out there for people who can't sleep well. And all of the solutions Mm -hmm. that are out there that people are using are making the problem worse, not better. Mm -hmm. They're finding things that... That's part of my next book as well, is focus on sleep. Excellent. Now I really want... Can I get a pre-release maybe? (laughs) (laughs) Can I review it? Um, it, 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 The the sleep (laughs) is a, a big part, but virtually everything people are doing puts them to sleep but hurts their sweet sleep quality horribly mm-hmm. you know whether yeah it, yeah that's and I've yeah, i think for me the, the the real significant thing is light levels that we are we, not appreciating that our brains make melatonin when the light levels go down so if we sit in a brightly lit house in the evening and, and look at brightly lit, lit screens, we do not have the opportunities for our brains to make melatonin, so we don't feel sleepy. And um, that then means that we go to bed and we lie there awake until finally we make enough melatonin, and then we wake up knackered because we haven't had enough time um, asleep, and then we repeat the whole process again. And um, if we spend more time outside in the first place, especially in the mornings, then that calibrates us to a higher light level, which means that we can tolerate higher light levels in the evenings and still make melatonin. And if we use lighting in a clever way in our homes, whether that's turning on side lamps instead of overhead lamps, or whether that's having smart bulbs and changing the brightness and the um, spectrum towards warmer, warmer colors in the evenings, then both of those ways can help us to recalibrate our brains and um, feel sleepy at the right time. I, I, I love this. This is right up the alley of what I've been working on. In fact, when I said earlier, part of the protocol was infrared sauna. It's really a little more mm-hmm. than that, and I'm still experimenting with it. I'm really creating a, a sauna environment or a room that uses all of the light spectrums. Most of the infrared saunas mm-hmm. are far infrared, um, which there are benefits to far infrared, but there are also benefits to mid, near, and just plain red light. So when I say infrared (laughs) sauna, we're really trying to recreate the the natural spectrum of the sun as much as we can. Yeah, and there are, incredibly, there's some systems for office lighting where they actually, um, you have a, uh, a camera outside which takes or a sensor outside which takes in the light levels and the wavelength and the, and the spectrum and then reproduces it inside so it changes throughout the day 
um, according to what the sun is doing. I that have not heard of day, that. That actual moment. Yeah, it's fabulous. That sounds incredible. <laughs> Obviously, they're expensive, and they're uh, at the moment they're for offices rather than for homes. But you can you can do a decent job with a load of smart bulbs um, of that in your own house, and and not only that, you can do it even more simply if you're using coloured bulbs and side lamps, um, and just adjust them as the day goes on. Part of the challenge I'm, mm. I'm running up against right now, um, trying to create kind of that perfect sun environment at home is just really expensive. Uh, I, I'm, if, yeah. you're, if you're trying to create the entire spectrum from the red light all the way up to the far infrared, it's like five or $6,000 to get what you need to create a, you know, a little closet size uh, or even using one of these like a fabric tent. We were um, experimenting with that. The problem is the light technology is still really expensive. What about smart bulbs? I, I haven't really looked at those. Managed to get what I want from Yeah, I haven't really looked at those. So, and that would be an awesome addition. I mean, I, I would still continue to do the therapy I'm doing, you know, 20 minutes a day, a couple times a week, because it, it's pretty intensive and you're sweating. And um, I actually have combined mm-hmm. the breathing with that time. So you get the breathing done in 20 minutes while you're getting all the light exposure and the sweating. And really kind of condenses it down in time. You can do some stretching in that time too. There you go. Yeah. So, but the idea (laughs) of, you know, really starting to converting more of our light sources around the house to, even if it's not, you know, the perfect spectrum, even if it's just better than what we've been using, um, that would be pretty big. I need to look into that more. One of the things I... Yeah, that's what I do every evening. I I tell my smart speaker that it's evening time and she turns all the lights to um, an orange glow that's uh, very low intensity and every morning i say good morning and she turns everything up bright and nice and white i think you just gave me a new piece to add to my protocol i like that (laughs) there you go yeah must be more ahead with the internet of things over there (laughs) (laughs) i don't think we have that going on here yet (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely happening in my house. Yeah, one of the things. <laughs> For better I, or worse. One of the things I was just ex- reading about this morning, uh, I actually found a new product. I ordered one, so I'm going to be testing it pretty soon. Um, it, it's just one light bulb, um, but it it really is probably one of the products on the market that comes closest in a single light bulb to really recreating, you know, the spectrum of the sun. Um, and these aren't lights that mm-hmm. you would like screw into a socket. This this is a, you know, like more of a therapeutic light kind of thing. But just that one light bulb okay. is like six or $700 for one of these. And, you know, it's you're not going to cover your whole body with one light bulb. You can use it to target specific mm-hmm. areas. But the, the thing I'm looking at is there are kind of two ways we can get enough of this light or more of this light. You, you can use more lights and more intense lights. And or more time, you know, if a, if a light is weaker, mm-hmm. the more time you spend in it, you can still get the same benefit. Well, none of us have. Yes, and, and being closer to it as well. It, yeah, good point. The, the proximity of the light. Um, none of us have hours to sit around under lights un- unless we can do it while we're doing other things. Like you said, offices. Mm-hmm. What a what a great opportunity to really help people's health if we could create these light systems in offices and homes. For me, I'm looking at this single bulb 
could I modify this with a couple things that somebody driving a truck for 10 hours a day could have a way to just mm-hmm. kind of move this light around occasionally and, and get that same benefit while they're driving? Absolutely. Yeah. So for truck drivers yeah. who are spending 10 hours a day driving, well, here's a great opportunity. Maybe, maybe we don't have to spend $6,000. Maybe we could spend 600 and come up with a way that they, we could get them a lot more of this light spectrum throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Hmm. All right, Lauren, anything that's been on your mind throughout? I, I have so many things. I have to take a minute and go back through my notes here. So uh, anything on your mind? <laughs> I, right I will now? have to leave you soon, I'm afraid. <laughs> okay. okay. Okay, how much time do we have? <laughs> uh, I can uh, I can manage about another five, ten minutes. Got it. Okay. Okay. Anything you've got, Lauren? Because everything I have would take more than that, so I don't want to get started on them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just I, I have a couple clients. Um, more recently that are dealing with Crohn's disease. And I was wondering if you, because I know that 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 takes place specifically, more specifically in the large intestine and kind of in the area of the ileocecal valve, correct? Uh Uh-huh, yep. I was wondering if you had any any insight as to how to best help someone in a situation like that because they're so sensitive. Um, I do not know specifics. However, I have seen various reports of probiotics that seem to be remarkable for Crohn's um, and ulcerative colitis. Um, I'm trying to think where. I I believe there's a a website called Gut Microbiota for Health, and I believe that will have been the source of those articles so it's worth checking on there i um, definitely will do that maybe you know you think maybe this that? is an area if there are specific microbes that help we could be culturing these in yogurt mm-hmm. that would be yeah. brilliant yeah <laughs> interesting and that's the thing you know there are so many different microbes um I did have a question that I thought would be kind of a fun question or an interesting one at least is, um, you know, we, you did give us some, you know, some information as to what microbes do in the body in terms of, you know, supporting immune, um, weight, mood, metabolism, mental health and whatnot. Is there anything that kind of surprised you, um, that you could kind of shed some light on in terms of how something difference that, you know, that microbes actually do in the body that we may not have ever heard before? I'm just curious. (laughs) Well, I I mean, at the time I was writing the book, it was really a new idea that that microbes in the gut could have anything to do with brain function. Now Mm -hmm. I think it's fairly well established that um, there's a a gut-brain connection and that your microbes can influence your you know, depression, anxiety, autism, all sorts of mental health conditions and neuropsychiatric conditions, um, including those links with Parkinson's and um, dementia and so on. So that at the time, some of the things around the idea, even that your personality can be related to your microbes. And there was a fabulous experiment where they moved microbes from um, a, a a breed of rats that were known for being quite grumpy 
<laughs> to a, another breed of rats that were known for being really um, hyper and excitable and sort of happy seeming. And they basically swapped their personalities over by swapping their microbes over. Wow. So that kind of thing at the, at the time really blew my mind because yeah. then you start thinking, well, am I catching personality traits from my friends when I eat with them <laughs> or, or when I use their bathroom? You know, what so, what? What else do you get from the people that you hang around with other than you know, their company? Hey, I just thought wow. of something. <laughs> I never there, thought of that. <laughs> that brought up something totally. There's a concept that's been around easy to prove. Um, the first time I saw this comparison was with money. And they said, if you want to know how much money somebody makes, find out how much money their five closest friends make. And you're going to be right in the ballpark. <laughs> and then the other thing I heard was... <laughs> weight. And the idea seems yeah. to be that, oh, well, you're just hanging around with people that are like you, That, but it maybe it's more than that. Yeah, I think I wrote about this in my in my first book, that there, there is a connection with weight and it does seem to transcend um, sort of social reasons that um, people do gain weight in the company of, um, of people who are who weigh more than them which is actually quite a strange one to explain because generally when you house um, overweight mice with lean mice, the overweight mice lose weight. Um, <laughs> and in, in humans, it seems to be that we gain weight. So, um, yeah, it's right. it's not clear how it happens, but there does seem to be a link that isn't just about, you know, wanting to hang out with someone who's like you or enjoying the same food together. It's more about sharing of microbes or something. Maybe we should. Oh my should. goodness! So microbes can like rub off on each other. My <laughs> <laughs> microbes rub off on you. <laughs> well, they would. At, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's amazing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, well, really. I have That's mind blowing. <laughs> I have I have a new diet idea now. I'm going to tell people <laughs> this is this is going to be really politically incorrect, but I don't care. Um, I'm going to tell people kick all your fat friends to the curb and go buy some lean mice. <laughs> <laughs> let's see if that works that didn't come from me yeah. Yeah, I'll take credit for that one. Um, all right uh, Alana we, I know we've got to let you go thank you so much uh, this has been an amazing yes an amazing conversation thanks for having me it's a pleasure it's always always fun to talk microbes uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I our pleasure. can't believe I lost 30 minutes of this. And I, I'd love, I, I don't want to put you on the spot right now, but I'd love to get you back again sometime. And absolutely, uh, for the new book, I'd love to get you back. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I'd be very happy to. Fantastic. And what's the new book called? And when when do you anticipate uh, it's it? It's currently out? called, it's called Fatology, uh, Why Fat is Not All About Food. Um, and I think it will probably be out in early 2024. Okay. Yeah, so a little, sounds, a little while yet, I'm afraid. Sounds like you've got some work ahead of you. Well, I have got some serious <laughs> work ahead of me, yeah. <laughs> All right, we will let you go so you can get on to some of that work so we can get the book. Uh, again, thank you so much, and uh, can't wait to get you back. Thank you. It's been lovely. Thank you, All right, take care. Ah, Lauren, that was fun. That was wonderful. So much great information and fresh, you know, new insight into stuff. And it, it just goes to show, you know, we have a professional in the field and there's just 
so much yet to learn about our microbiome. Yeah, she was actually kind of shocked by the whole no colon idea. I, I'm not sure if she's thought about that or, <laughs> or, you know, if that's ever come across her radar. Probably not. I mean, I hadn't thought about it until I started, you know, getting, you know, clients who, who have the, the issue. So I, I, it was not on my writer, I'll tell you that. I didn't even know it was a thing. I mean, I know they take out gallbladders and appendixes and tonsils and, you know, spleens and other things, but I didn't know they were taking out whole colons. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've, I've come across several partial removals of colon, and then there was one that was a full removal, and that one really blew my mind. Yeah, I was the, like, okay, well, it, at least you have something to work with. But whew. Yeah, the partial, you know, we know that um, the human body is pretty amazing. The brain is really good at when you lose one function, the brain can rewire itself. You know, we know that this part of the brain typically handles hearing, and there are so many cases where that part of the brain gets damaged, and after a while, they can go back in and find out a different part of the brain is now handling hearing. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's really incredible. and can happen with sight and speech and all kinds of things. And, and if we had some yeah. colon left, I could see, well, yeah, I bet the body could work with that. They tell us if we didn't have these microbes, we would die, that we can't live without these microbes. Well, nobody seems to know what happens when you take the colon away. I know. I wonder when they started doing that and how how much research they have, like, you know, actual yeah. patients and how long they, you know, they, they stick around for and how their health is and, and stuff like that. It's very interesting. Well, I have. Um, I don't know how. Yeah. And, and when she said, you know, maybe a gastroenterologist would help. The, the good news is I've been in contact with mm. uh, Dr. Brown again recently. He's the uh, founder or the inventor of Atrantil. He's been on the show at the several times. Mm -hmm. Great. Still works. He's, he's a well-renowned gastroenterologist, but, you know, takes a much more natural approach. Uh, he actually has a new product coming out. And we're going to be carrying it in the store. Oh. Yeah, I've already, I've already looked at it. We went through it all, and I said, absolutely, um, we need this. It's they might be calling it Atrantil Pro, I think, uh, and okay. it's for some very specific cases that Atrantil wasn't okay. working, and they figured out why. And so th this product, I don't want to say too much about it right now. It's pretty exciting, the concept. Um, but of course we're trying to get him back on the show right now. He is mm -hmm. slammed. He is just booked out everywhere. Um, the guy's so busy. I can't even believe it, but, um, we're going to try to get him back on the show, um, for the launch of that new product, but I'd love to talk to him about this. He's our last hope. I don't know who else to ask. I completely agree. I don't know where else to go. Yeah. Other True. than just pure experimentation. I don't know what to do. You know, what happens to, you know, somebody who doesn't have a colon and they eat a lot of fermented foods? Would that be a good thing or a bad thing? I don't yeah. even know. I don't know either. Or take probiotics. Like, yeah, do probably we, just goes right through them, right? Or do we give <laughs> them SIBO by doing it? Because the bacteria will start to take up residence in the small intestine? I don't know. Oof. 
yeah, that could be really, that could be the opposite of what we're trying to do. So yes, I, I think all these questions are valid. Yeah. Well, one of the things I want to do since we've spent, uh, almost three hours on this, uh, no, two, wait, two, coming up on three, two, I yeah. guess coming up on two. Yeah. Um, we should get to some calls. Um, so phone lines are yeah. open. It just anything goes. It's a destination health day, so we'll get to some phone calls here. Uh, in fact, we've got one on the line right now. We'll get to it. If you want to join us, 855-950-3835. We can talk about anything we just talked about or anything you want to talk about health-wise. Let's go to Minnesota. Kent, welcome to the program. Hello, this is Kent. Hey, great Great show. It was the best thing I've heard in a long, long, long time. Oh, thank you. She and, was uh, um, pretty incredible. I'm, I'm first-time caller for me. Oh. Yeah, she was. Well, great to have you here. It, she answered a lot of my, my my thoughts and everything. And I was to a doctor yesterday. He's a, he's a good family doctor for me. Um, I hadn't seen him for about a year. I did keto prior to that. You started me that about 40 years ago. It did great with it. Then I got lazy, <laughs> and I started going back into my old ways again, and I started gaining all my weight again. Yeah. So back in, and then in October here, end of October, I started up again, and now I'm strict, very strict with it, and... I was up to like 140 or 241 pounds, and now I'm down to 211 again. Congratulations. And I'm going down. Good. Thank you. So I've been always wanting to talk. I've always been hesitant because I'm afraid I'm not going to say what I want to say. But anyways, my blood pressure was 135 or 89. Okay. Not the greatest. Uh, But he didn't want to put me on any medicine. Good. Good. Because I've had lower blood pressures prior to this, and he didn't want to put me on any statins or anything like that. And oh, you, he's all about keto and and carnivore. You've got a good doctor. He's all about it. You've got, got a good doctor. It, because yeah. he, he is absolutely yeah. right on the blood pressure. Those numbers aren't horrible. Not even close to being horrible. They're a little elevated. No reason to start reaching for a drug yep. already. Yeah, exactly. Right, and he he said he would be afraid to run my blood pressure too low. It, yeah, you know, like uh, started me on something. Well, I was just about to say something. I don't worry about low blood yeah. pressure unless somebody's on a drug. I I've never really seen okay. somebody experience dangerous low blood pressure other than people who are on blood pressure lowering drugs, which is the same thing with diabetes. Sure. I've never seen a human being have dangerously low blood sugars unless they're on some sort of diabetic medication. Right. So, and then in my family history, I was adopted, so I found my biological family. So I got to know my background a lot more. And my grandpa, he had high blood pressure, he had strokes and all that. So he was kind of concerned with that and the history of the family. But he says, not right now, we're, we're going to go about doing anything. He wants to do a CAT scan on my heart area just to see if there's any uh, plaque buildup. That's all he wants to do. 
Okay. Just in case. Uh, so he's afraid that I'm, I've, I've been higher in my blood pressure. Okay. But it's been lower so, now because I'm back on my deal here. Okay. Two things I want to address. So I'm doing it. It cost me a, yeah. If this were a traditional doctor you were working with, I would encourage you not to mm-hmm. do the scan. And here's why. Okay. Those scans are almost okay. always used, and, and now they do whole body scans. And the scans are almost always okay. used to just get you into the system. In fact, you went in for a cardio scan, they use a whole body machine, or even, even just a cardio scan tends to catch more than just your heart, obviously. And all of a sudden they go, oh, hey, wait a minute. What, what's this little spot over here on your lungs? We need to look into this. Uh-huh. Oh, wait a minute. What? It, it's nothing but a way to get you into the system because that's how they make money. And, and I would have encouraged you not to do it because you, it, once they say that, oh, look, there's a spot. Now we start worrying. We start stressing. We go through all these. T- it's a horrible process, really is. But because you told okay. me the way this doctor is, I would have no problem with you doing the scan. Yep. I don't see this guy trying to pull okay. any of that kind of crap. No, and then he's also giving me the high blood pressure medicine prior to this. And I said, from listening to you, and I just said, I'm not doing the statins. I'm not doing it anymore. I threw them away. Excellent. And he says, well, you're playing a risk because you can still (laughs) die. And I went, everybody can die. And he goes, I do agree with you. The statins have killed people, so there's a risk there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yes, and I, it can I, cause cancers. I, I will tend to take the more natural risks than the the pharmaceutical risks. That's what I was telling him. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And he agreed with me. Yeah. Um, are That's are why you? I, didn't give me the other, I said I wanted to address two things. The other one: Are you taking Cardio Miracle? Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not. Oh, you should be. No, I'm not. You should be. Okay. Yeah, okay. this is this is one that, of our most successful supplements ever to target a specific problem, which is high blood pressure. It works incredible. Okay. We've had people lower their blood okay. pressure in less than two weeks, significantly. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's and actually. And I'm on your site too. The thirty dollars a year. Excellent. So. Good. Good. Yeah. If you go to the website, letstruck.com, our store. Um, cardio miracle. It's a powder. Yep. Uh, put a scoop in water, okay. um, drink it once or twice yep. a day. One or, for you right now, I'd recommend two servings. One when you wake up in the morning or around okay. lunch, um, one later in the evening, maybe after yep. dinner. Um, my guess is okay. you will be, uh, right at about the normal level or slightly lower in about two weeks. That would be awesome. The other thing we've seen from this, and it makes total sense, the way this product is lowering blood pressure is by increasing nitric oxide. Um, Nitric oxide is a signaling Hmm. molecule that when we have nitric oxide in our body, it allows our veins and arteries and capillaries to relax. And when they relax, they expand. And open up more. And open up more. And yep. pressure goes down. That That's how it works. So the blood pressure goes down almost right. immediately. Makes total sense. The other thing that happens, though, you now have much better blood flow. So energy levels... 
go through the roof. Um, for um, males with ED, tends to go away. Uh, Viagra okay. works through the same mechanism by increasing blood flow. That's the whole problem with ED. Blood there flow. isn't enough blood flow. So we've seen all okay. kinds of other benefits from increasing nitric oxide levels. Okay. And I also, uh, I got my sheet, you know, on the triglycerides and the cholesterol and all that numbers. Yeah. And I'm just wondering what you think about it. It's well, hold on. Hold, hold, on hold on one second. Yep. Uh, I wish I could do all this in my head, but on this, I do need a calculator. So I'll ask you the numbers I need. Okay. Uh, give me total cholesterol. Yep. Total cholesterol is 245. Okay. Uh, just about the same as mine. Uh, HDL. Okay. H HDL is 39. That was low. That may be your biggest issue. We'll see. Uh, LDL, just straight LDL. A lot of these reports give you several different numbers, but if you can find something that just says LDL, that's the number I want. Yep. My guess is it's uh, over 100. At 160, I thought. All right. 160. Okay. And triglycerides. That one should be right there. Hmm. That's 246. Okay. So before I even hit go on the calculator... I'm going to tell you, probably mm -hmm. have some out-of-whack cholesterol. A, a statin would not fix it. Okay. So I, it, I, I do believe it. you're okay. pretty far out of whack. We're going to see here in a second. Um, but a statin wouldn't fix it, but we can okay. tell you how. Okay. This is what I thought. Okay. Um, okay. Honestly, I think uh, you win the award. <laughs> you, you may even be... Um, would you be interested in doing a a one-on-one -on -one at no charge? Yes. And the reason I do that, I like to find unusual or extreme cases and work with okay. them because we learn a lot when we do that. So it seems to me like okay. we're going to benefit more from this than you might. You're going to benefit from it, no doubt. We're going to fix this problem for you. Um, but I don't want to charge you. We're going to benefit. So I, this is just a good partnership. We get to learn. You get healthier. You're so, awesome. Yeah, if you're willing to do that, I'd love to do it. Yeah. Okay. So the, the reason I'm offering... you joking. <laughs> the reason... I, well, that was the good news. Now I'll give you the bad news. The reason I'm offering is okay. you, you actually have... And I'm not, I'm not talking about high cholesterol, but you have the worst yep. cholesterol protocol I've ever run through my calculator. Really? The worst profile. Yeah, it's not that it's high. Huh. Your 245 does not bother me at all. In fact, that's where yep. mine is, and that's where I want it. I don't want it any lower than that. If it went higher than that, it wouldn't bother okay. me. Okay. Total cholesterol okay. should never be looked at. Here's why. When we look at these other three okay. parts, HDL, we want HDL higher. Yep. Well, if HDL is part of the total calculation and we want it higher, when I get it higher, my total cholesterol is going to go up. 
So how, yeah. how so okay. using total is a complete waste of time. We look at the other three and we try to get them in balance. We want HDL higher. Okay. We want triglycerides lower. Those two are easy. HDL we want higher. Triglycerides okay. we want lower. LDL is the one that confuses everybody. And that's why I said your report might have multiple numbers on there. There are different forms of LTL, LDL, and the standard cholesterol test doesn't look at them. We would have to go in and we will probably do this for you with you and we'll pay for it. Even I may, I may have a particle size test done. That's what it's called. Uh, and we'll pay for that as part of this. Um, so what, what we want on, on, an easy way is the size of your LDL is what matters. They ha- there's what they call large, fluffy LDL. It's kind of weird sounding, but it's large and fluffy. Okay. That's good LDL. We want that. That's okay. really good stuff. There's small, dense LDL. That's the bad stuff. It, when we, it, if we have to call, okay. chole- we shouldn't really call cholesterol bad because it's not. It's one of the most amazing substances in, uh, in our body. But if we had to call any necessary. part of it, absolutely necessary for life. Yeah, Lauren. Um, if, if we had to call any part of it bad, it would just be small, dense LDL. Well, here's the thing. Small, dense LDL okay. are created by the standard American diet. This isn't hard to figure out. Large, fluffy LDL are created by a better diet. Now, many people on keto will end up making their cholesterol profile worse. We know that. Um, We still think that even doing that, the other benefits outweigh it. So the weight loss, the the inflammation lowering, all the, the, the brain... Um, benefits of, of ketones. We believe that there are so many benefits yep. to even dirty keto. So dirty keto is what causes poor cholesterol okay. profiles. Clean keto or carnivore or even clean paleo can fix the profile. So typically we find that somebody okay. with a bad cholesterol profile on keto is eating dirty keto. You know, they're eating a lot of restaurant food. They're still eating okay. very low carb, you know, meat, fat, but they're eating a lot of restaurant food, bad right. meat, horrible fats. They'll lose weight. They get all the other benefits, but they don't get really good, healthy cholesterol. So we've fixed this many times, but I'm going to go through the things that we look at here. So you, you can see, because I was okay. when you were giving me your numbers, I thought, wow, these, that's why I said before I even click the button, I'm going to tell you the news isn't going to be good. But it's even worse than I thought. Um, okay. So, so the way the tra- I'm going to give you the traditional medical readings first. They do look at total cholesterol. Yours would be considered high risk. Yep. That's that's the worst category, high risk. Your LDL is considered high risk. Okay. Your HDL is considered high risk. Your triglycerides are considered high risk. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I've ever seen somebody have all four, but I don't care too much about those. I use those numbers in ratios, calculations. So, for example, okay. we, we okay. compare total cholesterol to your HDL. Um, ideally, we would want that number to be, oh, preferably we'd like to have it under 5. Ideally, we'd like to have it at 3.5. I think when I checked mine, mine is like 1.4. 
Um, yours is six okay. six point two eight. Very mm-hmm. high risk. Mm-hmm. Um, the next ratio we look at is HDL to LDL. We would like to have it over 0.3. Ideal is over 0.4. Um, I think mine is like point. Okay. I think mine's like 0.7. Uh, yours is 0.24. Okay. Another at risk, not high risk, oh. but at risk. Um, then the, yep. the last uh, ratio we look at is triglycerides to HDL. We'd like to have it under four, ideally under two. Uh, mine's around one. Um, yours is 5.9. Okay. High risk. Yeah. Yeah. You do have a really ugly cholesterol profile. The good news is we can fix it. We've done it many times since you're such an extreme case. Yeah. Since you're such an extreme case, we'll learn a lot from this. Um, So that's why I want to work together on you with this one. Cool. That'd be very good. Even You know, my doctor also said, I don't want to get rid of your cholesterol because it's good for you. Absolutely. I, I love your doctor, by the way. Maybe we should have him on our show. Um, I know. Hey, 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 Lauren, I think I just volunteered you for a lot of work. I know. Well, I was wondering, <laughs> do we want to do a live, a live one-on-one Sure. and do it together? Absolutely. I feel like that would be a great way to do it. Yeah. As long as, uh, that would be wonderful. Yeah. As long as you're okay with that. I, I'd be fine with that. Okay. Cause I listen to both of you talk and I really like the way you both work together excellent excellent so yeah that would be that would be real a great way to do it yeah and everyone can kind of learn from it too you know one of the things we already know we're part of your triglyceride issue the high triglycerides part of it is the diet dirty keto is is pretty bad for high triglycerides but more so the fact that you're still losing weight no matter how clean your diet is, yeah. while you're losing weight, more triglycerides show up in your blood. Triglycerides are basically fat, three fats, okay. triglycer. Glycer always means fat. Triglycerides, okay. it's three fats. When you lose three weight. Three different types of fat. Yeah. When you lose weight, that fat circulates through your bloodstream while you're losing it. So we always see triglycerides go up oh, when somebody's yeah. losing weight. So, I believe that. Yeah, so that's part of it. Um, so we already know that at some point that's going to naturally come down as you get to your your ideal weight and stop losing weight. Okay. The others, the HDL huh. and the LDL, are absolutely diet-related. Okay. And like I said, I got really comfortable after I lost. I got down to... Uh, like 190, 189, 190, I was down. Yeah. And then I got comfortable again, and then it started cheating. Well, it sounds like it got easier and easier to cheat. Uh, yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. But, but the good news is you got back on the horse, and you're getting pretty darn close to your yes. goal again. And, and like I say, it was the end of uh, August I started, and... I was hoping it would start kicking in again, and I know it has. And I try to stay under six carbs a day. Wow! Right now, yeah, you are and really I, low I, carb. I That's go awesome. Twenty-four hours sometimes without eating. 
Th- that's I go okay. Four hours without eating. That's fantastic. If you did and then that, I eat a, then I eat a a ribeye. Then I eat a ribeye and some green beans or whatever. Excellent. Excellent. Then I'm done. Yeah. When when in the phase you're in, all the fat. Yeah, in the phase <laughs> you're in right now, or honestly, any time, doing a 24 hour fast once a week is awesome. Nothing wrong with that at all. Okay. Yeah, I, I should and do I it more often. Doctor, really. And I told him that. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing wrong. And with I that. was in 24 hours fasting already, and looked at me like, you know, a lot of Americans. He's from Canada originally. He said a lot of Americans overeat this junk food. And he says, and you're not hungry either, are you? And I said, no, I'm not. Yeah, that's that's so. the beauty of keto or carnivore. You know, your appetite is yeah. manageable. And right. honestly, if we're eating car- keto or carnivore, <laughs> we tell people, I don't care how long you are, eat. Eat. Just make sure you eat the right stuff. I never right. tell people to right. go hungry, ever, unless it is a true fast. And and while you're fasting, you're probably going to have some hunger. I always do. Um and I should I have probably, a little bit, but yeah, then it goes yeah. away. But yeah, it's not that big of a deal, right? It's not like trying. Did you ever try to fast when you're on the standard American diet? My God, I, I just, I would rather. Oh, it's terrible. I would rather poke my eyes out with a knitting needle. It's horrible. You want to eat another bag of Cheetos? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With chocolate sauce or <laughs> something. Know? Yeah. Um, or something or whatever. Yeah. And, All right. So, um, Kent, any. Other questions we can answer for yes. you right now? No, you you've answered a lot, and you you uh, very appreciative of what you're going to do here. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put you back on hold. Uh, okay. Okay. Let's see. Uh, oh, Lisa already sent me a notice. Lauren's going to take the lead on this. Angie is ah. gathering all the data already, so we can contact. Uh, I am going to put you back into the queue just in case Angie has any questions for you right now. Is that okay? Okay. I appreciate Kevin. You got a, you have a great show and you're a miracle worker. Well, thank you. Thank you. We're mm-hmm. uh, going to put you back on hold. If Angie needs you, she can grab you. Um, and we will be in touch soon. Lauren, are you excited about that one? Yes, definitely. It should be a very interesting one. Yeah. You, you a know, challenge. Yeah. Yeah, it will be. But I think, uh, I think we'll get some good results there. Let's uh, let's continue. Let's go to New York. AJ, welcome to the program. Uh, good morning, Kevin, and good afternoon to Lauren. I think, right, Florida? Yes. 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 Oh, just driving across New York here through the beautiful foliage. I think it's peak around here. Unbelievable. Oh, oh that has oh, to nice. be beautiful. But I, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and to listen to the show at the same time. There you go. What can you ask for? There you but, go. But uh, great, great show, great show today. I think this uh, this, this uh, gut biome and these micro uh, this stuff is going to be. It, I think next level. It, it it's is amazing. Everything that how that how it uh, you know affects other people. Um, it, you know, microbes affecting other people, going from other people to making people similar <laughs> that are in the same house. Interesting. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know if um, hey. if it has anything to do with. I know, like women that live together in a house oh, have yeah. to have the same menstrual cycle. I, I've heard that too. One day, yeah. You know, I I just had another thought. 
We've always talked about how everybody think thinks everything is genetic, and and we've thought that for a long time. I, and somebody, eat, Lauren, how many times do people say this to you when you're talking about their health? You're doing a one on one, and they'll you'll ask them, you know, what the what health condition? Well, I have diabetes, but it runs in my family. My mom had it, my brother had it, my uncle had <laughs> right. Don't they always say that? I have high blood yeah. pressure, but it runs in my family. Yeah, like I mean, we use it like an excuse, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, well, I have it, but it, but there's oh, yeah. a reason. It's genetic. No, it's not. And I used to say, and this is part of it, um, one of the ways they, it, it was kind of funny, I thought the first time I read it, one of the ways that they proved this probably isn't genetic is if those families had pets, their pets had the same health issues, if that's genetic, you got a problem or you're from West Virginia or something. I'm not sure. Um, that was a joke for you, West Virginians. <laughs> I love West Virginia, by the way. Uh, anyway, maybe I'm sure part of it is families tend to eat the same things. That's what we've always, you know, kind of said this is why, and it makes sense. But there also might be a lot of microbe sharing going on in families, obviously. Mm-hmm. That's what I was curious about. Yeah, but, uh, it's almost like I, I'm gonna. I can't wait until we know everything, but I can at the same time because the only way it can happen rapidly is if corporate greed gets into it. I and know they make money off of it, yeah. and you know you never know what's gonna yeah. get fouled up in that process. So I gotta be. We gotta be patient, right? We do. We're going with the right people. You know uh, what? Doing this research. You know we right we have to be patient. There's also something else I'm already kind of anticipating. We also need to be pretty humble, and that's hard for me sometimes. Um, much of what we think we know about health, including things I say every single day, do this, and that will. F- much of what we know is going to turn out to be wrong. Mm. Yep. It is. I, I just. I'm. I know. That, I mean, it's happened already in the last eight years. Lots of things we were saying in the oh, beginning. Yeah. We're not saying anymore. We thought, no, we've learned more. We thought that's what was causing this. But the good news is, no matter how wrong we might turn out to be, we're getting good results. That's the best part of this. I, yep. If somebody comes up to me a year from now and says, look, I, I can show you nine out of ten things you were saying every day was wrong. I'll say, eh, you might be right. But we still got really good results. So we're just going to keep doing what we do, and we'll be a little humble. When we're proven wrong, we'll just admit it. Yep. Yeah, I learned that from listening to this show for a long time. Like, it's you know, sometimes you come back and this stuff was wrong and move forward with the right stuff. Yeah, but but the good news is, no matter how wrong we are, we're still getting way better results than most other methods. Yes. All right. Absolutely. What else is so on your following mind along with, um, <laughs> following along with uh, microbiome and growing stuff. So I got this yogurt going. This is the first uh, first time I've done it. My my thing is if uh, if things are going well, don't change it too much. So it takes me a long time <laughs> to kind of jump on board with these things. So That's I okay. just started now on the yogurt, and um, I did the starter batch, and then uh, did a gallon batch. Okay. from the starter batch, and then the only thing I had time for before I went out Monday was to throw it in the refrigerator. So I got them in quart, 
things and I got the solid on top and okay. I got the liquid on the bottom. So, so I just take the solid out and mix it up so, or strain it and then whip it up. It, there's lots of things you can do here. So what, what was the base? Did you use milk, heavy cream, half and half, some combination? What was the base? I used uh, A2, uh, A2 milk and just like on the, on the webinar, the, the A2 milk and uh, half and half, A2 half and half as well. Okay. So whatever that what, uh, which was originally was. how I kind of started. And then I actually moved on to just using pure half and half. And the reason was, uh, one, I yep. yeah, one, I like the additional fat. Uh, two, I love the, the taste and the texture. It's so rich and creamy. Um, and we don't get a lot of that liquid in there. So, but it doesn't really matter. Once you've got what you've got there, some solids and some liquids, you could do a couple things. It's really personal preference. Um, I like super thick, creamy yogurt. So even when I use half and half and when it's done, there is no separation. There's no water. I still put it into a yogurt strainer and I just leave it in there and I just eat it out of the strainer and it just keeps getting thicker and thicker. More of the whey will separate out. If you want, if you like thinner yogurt, eat it thinner. If you want it thicker, make it thicker. There is a benefit to, to getting as much of the whey or the water out as possible. The whey is where all the carbohydrates are. So the more of the whey you get rid of, the yep. lower the carbohydrate you make your yogurt. So if you want a, re, a lower carbohydrate count, then strain that yogurt. Get a yogurt strainer and pour it in there and just leave it in there. And it'll keep straining. Okay. The other thing is it it, it smells and tastes like spoiled milk. Is that just how it's supposed to be? Or? Uh, kind of. Yeah, it should be sour. Now, I have had batches that start to smell more like cheese than milk. And I almost think those might be closer to, sp technically it is spoiled milk. Right. It, it's just that if you allow milk to spoil naturally, most of the bacteria that caused the spoilage is not beneficial to us. It's bad bacteria. It might give you diarrhea or, um, you know, it's not going to kill you, but it, it's so you could drink spoiled milk. It's probably not very good, but we're, we're really doing the same thing. We're spoiling the milk, but we're using a very specific strain of bacteria that actually is good for us. Right. Okay. So I got that going and, uh, so you mix it, right? Mix it. You can also whip it up and then add, add sweeteners to it, add berries, yeah, absolutely. I love mine with a little, little bit of maple syrup and honey or, or a little bit of maple syrup and cinnamon or honey and cinnamon are my two favorites. Uh, or fresh if I have, you know, blueberries or something, I love throwing those in. So, yeah, you can. Uh... Now, the one thing to be careful of, if you use like a blender or a mixer, you can take really thick yogurt, and make it really thin quickly. So I, I'm really careful. I only, you know, kind of hand stir the stuff in. I, I don't use a blender or anything because it really makes your yogurt thin if you do that. Uh, but, yeah, you can, you can play around with all that. The only time I would tell somebody absolutely don't eat yogurt 
if it has mold. And that will happen occasionally. If you see mold, I would just, some people will say, oh, don't worry about it. Skim off the mold, knead it. And a lot of people do that. It doesn't seem to bother them. Eh, the mold freaks me out a little bit, I guess. Uh, I, I tend to throw the whole batch away and start over. Yeah, yeah, and then also if you sp- if you blend it up, isn't that damage the bacteria too? Uh, that's a good point. You blend it up in the good metal point. Blender. Yeah, Doc, Dr. Davis says the bacterial count will go down if you blend it. Yeah, so I, I, everything I mix together, I mix with a wooden spoon and a excellent in a glass. Excellent. <laughs> so, but uh, all right, so I'll I'll work on that. Uh, keep you posted on that. My other the other one thing I wanted to say was as your standard, I'm over in Eastern Massachusetts, and you can't get any further. Away from Oregon, unless you go up in the Maine, <laughs> which I do sometimes. But where I get where I live is is uh, is pretty far east, and then as a standard, it, it has a drop uh, within an hour from my house. Fantastic! And, uh, picking that up on Thursday. Picking that up on Thursday, and we're gonna. Excellent! Don't they have awesome products? Farm so. Uh, so so far so good. I like this is my first drop, and uh, we'll, we, you know we'll give it we'll give it a try. So. Good. Dairy tends Good. to t- tends to affect my daughter, so she's uh she's been doing the A two milk. Excellent. Which I, I find in the grocery store here, it's A two milk. It's better. It, she says she likes it. It's better. She gets a better feeling from it. But uh, we're gonna try to get this Alexander Farms going. So yeah, you know the A two itself is becoming more popular, and and that's a big improvement. Just the A two, but then to go that step further to you know such a clean. Um, version of it like Alexander Farms where you can either get organic or grass-fed or organic grass-fed or you, know, you can get the level of quality that you really want. Yep, yep. So, yeah, we're pumped. Excellent. Uh, pretty excited about it. Excellent. All right. Well, I thank you for your time today. Thank you for helping as always. Excellent. All right. Talk to you soon. Take bye-bye, care. Lauren. Bye-bye. Goodbye, Kevin. See ya. Yeah, yep. bye. All right, let's uh, let's grab another call. Lines are open. Uh, we're going to hang out here for a bit as long as you've got calls. 855-950-3835. We're off to Iowa. Tim, welcome to the program. Oh, let me hit the right button there. There we go. Hello, Tim. Kevin, and, hello Kevin and Lauren. Hey there. Yeah. Hello. I... Uh... I have a question concerning COVID. If you have noticed any causation between that and an elevated heart rate, I have the instinct to watch and I thought maybe it was broke because last Saturday at rest, I got a abnormal high heart rate warning and my heart rate has been increased. Oh, about 40 to 50 beats per minute over what it has been previously. And last Thursday and Friday, my daughter was home and was sick when she left and she tested positive for COVID. So I'm a, I haven't tested myself yet, but I'm pretty certain that I have COVID now too. I have been feeling kind of nasty and phlegm and Okay. So uh, this, this question just got a whole lot easier for me. I thought we were talking about post-COVID results, and I was going to ask you, is this long-term, how long it's been going on? While you have COVID, absolutely. Any infection uh, is so stressful on the body that having an elevated heart rate wouldn't surprise me at all. 
Well, that's what I'm curious to see here. If this is my heart rate is going to drop after this passes. I believe like I said, so. I thought my watch was broke. No, I, 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 I can I easily, easily. Up. Yeah. Wouldn't surprise me at all that somebody has elevated heart rate during the infection itself. It's after that it should okay. go away. And, and I've done tons of reading on long COVID and all those other things. And I, I just don't remember anything about long-term elevated heart rate. Well, now, now my, I, just, I mean, I've been exposed. I, let, let me ask you something. And I, I always forget to ask this, but I, I shouldn't forget. Um, did you get the vax? No. Okay, good. Good. I did not get the jab. Yeah. So, um, long-term but, heart issues after the vaccine are very common. Well, I'm assuming that this must have mutated to a point where I'm no longer immune to it because my wife and I have been exposed multiple times since this whole thing started, and this is the first time I've actually contacted or contracted the the disease. Now, so, now, hold on a second, because you said you haven't tested. Um, I was in that exact same well, boat. Well, very I, true. I and and I I got really sick. I talked about this on the air. It was when I was on the road. I swore it had to be COVID. I tested three times. It wasn't COVID. I, as far as I know, I still haven't had it. I'd love to do an antibody test. Maybe I should go. St- the the testing is just so such a mess. But I mean, I'd love to know if I have antibodies to it. Uh, and I was just exposed again recently. Um, we had somebody in the house. Actually, yeah. an, an employee. We had somebody in the house that. And not only did they have COVID, they just came back from Asia. Um, so uh, there's a new strain in Asia, yeah. by the way. Uh, it, that they're really kind of worried about, but I'm not. They are. Uh, so we'll see. I still feel fine. Uh, it's been, uh, I had the contact on Sunday. So I, I'm probably in the clear. We'll see. Uh, I feel pretty good right now, though, um, physically and immune-wise. I, I doubt that uh, if I do get it, it will be that bad, but we'll see. Now, I just heard two on a newscast that uh, uh, in Mass- uh, I believe it was MIT is combining the current strain, the Omnicon, with the original strain, and they came up with a oh, that- superior deadly version of it. No, let me... like 80% no, of let people. Me, let me explain that. Um, right. You know me. I, I want to get the truth out there, good or bad. Let, let's Let's... You know, let's not try to push some sort of agenda. Um, I am very, very anti-vax when it comes to COVID. I think everybody realizes that. But this latest scare is just completely off base. This, and you're right, how you explained it. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And that is the new shot that's coming out, by the way. No, it's already out, I think. The bivalent, I think they're calling it. Something like that. And it is a combination of the original strain and the new strains of Omicron. That's the shot that is available right now. In the testing, and and this gets a little more complicated without trying to go too deep into this. Yes, that was causing 80% death in mice. 
but the original wild version was 100% deadly to mice. This is not okay. that big. Yeah, this isn't a big deal. That 80% scares the hell out of everybody, and it, it should if you don't understand what that really meant. That is not a big deal. It's really not. So it, as much as I try oh. to you know, warn people about the vax, this one has been totally blown out of proportion. Well, that's very good to hear. Yeah, this this is not a big deal at all. We we can just kind of ignore this study. It didn't tell us much at all. Now, I I will I just like the last version. There's no way I'm taking this version or recommending it to anybody. Do you know what else might happen today? No, In fact, I... I should probably check my news aggregator and see if there's any news about it right now. Um, the CDC is meeting today. And do you know one of the things they're afraid they might announce? They what think is that? there are a lot of people that are worried that part of, well, we already know part of the CDC meeting today, they are looking at the idea of adding the COVID vaccine to the required lists of childhood vaccines. Yep. It, yep. It, it, and it's not even a vaccine. I think it's, I was it's not. probably right. the back when this whole thing started, like I might have been the first one to mention to you that I had heard that this was not intended to prevent you from getting the disease or prevent you from spreading it. It was simply intended to lessen the effects of it. But no, but they didn't say that. And Remember? No, you're right. No, but, that's but exactly. They actually that's, kept coming out with those crazy exactly statistics. Right. Oh, it's 98% effective. <laughs> no, it's not. Right. Yeah, it's, it's insane. It's not effective at all. In fact, now, now all the evidence absolutely shows it's, it's, you really can't argue this anymore. Depending on your level of vaccination, it actually has a negative um, percentage. You're more likely to get it now if you're vaccinated. But yet they keep pushing it. And if they add it, you know, after everything that's happened in the school system the last couple of years, I said if I had kids, there would no way they would be in that school system. I, I would do I would homeschool them myself. I would do whatever I had to do. If this passed, oh, hell no, would I, I would never send one of my kids to school if they had to get this vax. No way. Fortunately, all mine are past that, too. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your reassurance here. And I will keep watching my, uh, my heart rate and see. Hopefully, it'll drop back down. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure it will. If it doesn't, it call us back. Okay. All right. I will keep you informed. All right. Thanks, Tim. Thank we'll talk to you soon. All right. Lines are open. We can hang out a little bit more if you want to jump in. 855-950-3835. Lauren, anything else that's on your mind today? No. I think we've covered a lot. It was such a treat to have Alana on. I mean, so much still to learn in the whole field of, uh, you know, studying the microbiome and everything. So, you know, I, I, I was, um, I, I, 
before she ever came on, I knew her take on diet as far as um, mm-hmm. she does promote plant-based pretty heavily, but not to the exclusion mm-hmm. of animal products, not even close. She just thinks the yeah. human diet yeah. should have, you know, a lot of both. Um, so when she started on that, understandably, yeah. And when she was talking about grains and beans and, and I, you know, I stopped her and I said, I just want to set the, the stage for you here. So, you know, you know, what, and I thought all of her explanations were excellent. Agreed. I definitely, I have to agree with you. She, I mean, and, and if you talk to anyone who really focuses on the microbiome, they all pretty much say the same thing that, in order, you know, to really feed it and, you know, make sure you're having a good amount and, you know, diversity of bacteria, that plant foods are important. So it was, it was good to mention, you know, to her that even though we're promoting carnivore, um, you know, it's also fermented foods with it. So she touched on it a little bit, but I, I made some notes. Well, I had so many notes. I then every time she would start talking, I would be adding 10 notes to my page. My page is already full of them. So I, I, then I started, I couldn't keep them all straight and I couldn't keep my thought processes straight. My brain was all over the place. One of the things I want to explore with her next time, and I think I'm going to just jump right into it. Um, This idea that we need microbes and we need to feed them. I get that. Um, But there are tribes who get very, very little fiber. We, we only touched on the Maasai a little bit, and I didn't get to get back to it. Um, the Maasai primarily eat meat, milk, and blood. That's their primary diet. They actually drink um, mm-hmm. cattle blood. It's a big part of their diet. It, you know, that's probably pretty wow. nutritious, right? I would think so. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, you would definitely think Do, so. Yeah, We move all the nutrients around the body in the blood, right? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I don't think I could do it. But. <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah, I don't I'm, good, I'm, good for them. I'm pretty adventurous when it comes to food. I might try it. Um, but that's, a, <laughs> it's got to be incredibly low fiber. And the other idea of the probiotics themselves, the bacteria, my thought is hunter gatherers probably eat more bacteria than any of us. Even if they're not, yeah. I mean, they also even if they're not fermenting, you know, directly, they don't have refrigeration. Mm-hmm. That you know, they eat animals yep. sometimes that have just been stored outside. Most of their food is is not refrigerated. It, it, there's got to be gobs of bacteria everywhere, right? I don't think there's a shortage of bacteria in their diet. So, are they? Well, getting, and that's the thing, and they. Go ahead. They weren't washing their hands. They weren't uh, yeah, washing exactly. their vegetables. They weren't right. eating, you know, antibacterial soaps exactly. and all of that stuff. That is just, it didn't exist. Right. So they were getting bacteria everywhere. with everything. They put everywhere. their right. fingers in their mouth. Yeah, right. Yeah, everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they, they are cattle herders. So they're working mm-hmm. with the animals all day long and they're around the animals all day long. And animals are loaded with bacteria and there, you know, so I, I, yeah. I don't think there was any shortage of bacteria, even in a hunter-gatherer diet with no plant matter or very little. Then the question becomes, well, are they eating enough stuff to feed their bacteria? 
well, they must have. They were pretty damn healthy. Um, they still are today. The Maasai are. But the other thing, um, most hunter-gatherers and all carnivorous animals eat the stomach and the contents. Mm-hmm. That's fermented that plant matter. Yeah. I didn't think of that. Yeah. That's fermented plant matter. Because most of the animals that carnivores eat are herbivores. Exactly. Right. And herbivores use bacteria to break down their food. It's fermented. That's how they digest food. They ferment it. Yeah. Wow. I hadn't even thought about that, but, but you're right. You're getting microbes in so many different ways. And... Also, probably the prebiotics in the plant matter itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And animals that use fermentation to digest plant matter can eat plant matter that is almost pure fiber. Human, yeah. be- human beings can't, can't digest grass. You can't eat grass as a human being. You can't digest it at all. Yeah, I didn't think, I've really never thought about that, but you are probably right. Yeah, we well, can't your eat. Micro, your microbiome could, right? We, we can't, well, not our microbiome. We don't have not the right, ours. Yeah, we don't yeah. have the right bacteria. Um, ungulates like do. Like ruminating. Yeah, ruminating ungulates. Yeah, they, they have... The back, and that's also why they have multiple stomachs. Exactly, it's, it's a fermentation chamber. That's what they are. They can eat twigs and wood and break it down. We can't. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. True. I can't wait for her next book to come out. I know it's going to be fascinating. Yeah, I didn't expect her to say it was. It was going to be coming out in, <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> in like another more year. than a year. Yeah, more than a so. year. Oh. Yeah. Well, we'll. Uh, you know what? I, I I'm going to look through some of her material. I know I saw some new stuff on her website that I haven't read yet, so I'll go through some of that, and we'll we'll get her back on. I think she was just an amazing guest. I agree. She yeah. has so much genius. She's just, but, she's so well studied on all of this stuff, and you know, and and to hear her say that there's you know still so much that they don't know, just really puts things into perspective because she knows her stuff, obviously. You know, the so, other thing I wasn't thinking about. It's uh, what's that? It's six thirty in the evening for her. Oh, that's just weird, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it, I wasn't thinking that either. <laughs> yeah, right now it's six thirty-seven p.m. in London. Huh. Yeah. Well, that was kind of fun, though. Our, our, our oh, yeah. other hungry. Other I was than, ready for dinner. <laughs> yeah, other than the technology screw up on my end, which I still don't know what happened. Um, I lost the physical connection from my cu- computer to my board, and I and then I just 
I actually have two ways I can connect the board, so I threw the other connection on, and then it started working again. Um, I should probably leave both of them mm. connected as a backup, and then I'm going to create a secondary backup on the recording as well. Um, you know, it, it, I know for the listeners who like to listen live, when we lose that live stream, that sucks for them. I get it. Um, but for me, when I thought we lost the live stream, it wasn't like the end of the world. I'm recording this. You know, you'll, you'll be able to hear it in a couple hours. Uh, but then when I saw we weren't recording mm. it, oh, oh, <laughs> that was such good stuff, too. Um, but you know what? I know. <laughs> I, I have a feeling, just like anything else, second time we do it, it's going to be even better. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, so. it's funny. I, I took a bunch of notes and, que- you know, with questions that I wanted to ask. And we, you you asked most, like, a lot of the questions that I was planning on asking. So, yeah, you know, our heads I, are I, in the same place. I, I had a good. feeling you and I would, you know, a lot of times, though, I love when you jump in because you jumped in. And every time you do, I think, oh, yeah, I remember. I forgot to make a note on that because I was thinking the same thing. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, we've got it's a beneficial uh, for sure. We've got a call. Let's go find out what's on Casey's mind. Casey, what's uh, what's Vermont looking like today? It's got to be beautiful. Uh, it's not bad. We're we're coming on the down end of it. The colors are fading in good shape, but other than that, sun is shining today, so it's a great day. Awesome. What's on your mind today? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I've been following you for well, coming up on four years on the 1st of January. Um, did it in steps, got rid of everything but beer the, the first year, then got rid of the beer on the second year. That's sad. Um, had <laughs> but yes, it is. I know, but but there's a there's enough. I didn't get rid of alcohol. I just yeah. got rid of beer. Oh, there you go. And I did the same thing. I kind of did it in stages, and and I still t- say to this day, I, I, I'm not going to claim that I'm a non-drinker. Um, it's a lot no. less than it ever used to be, and every month it seems like it's less and less over time. But uh, if somebody showed up today, right. later on today, and with a bottle of wine, I'd have a glass with them. Um, I, yeah, like I said, I'm not going to call no, myself I've, a non-drinker. I've, right. I've changed to, we got we have a, an apple cider here, that carrot apple cider, that is only two grams in a 16-ounce can really? of carb. So it's a very low carb, and it's, and it's made of locally sourced apples. That's it. Oh, all I, it says in the ingredients. I love hard cider too. One with only two grams of carbs. Yep. Man, I wonder if I could get my hands on some of yeah, that it's stuff. Called, it's, it's called Wits Up. Spell that. W-H-I-T-S-U-P. I thought that's what it was. All right. And it's, it's uh, I can't think of the name of the company that makes it though, but it's a Vermont-based company, so it shouldn't be hard to find. I'll find that. Thank you. And when I drink hard stuff, I drink potato vodka. So I try and stay away from there the greens as much as possible. That's right. Good. <laughs> uh, tequila um, work, tequila works, I, I too. Started... Yeah, but I don't like it. Oh, okay. Yeah, te- tequila's, made, tequila's made from agave. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like it. And it doesn't care for me a lot either. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the same with me. Um, I, you know, I, I, I take a couple shots of tequila and I think I'm in a mariachi band or something. There you go. There you go. 
um, I did start off with, uh, I was on Prilosec and had been for 20 years. I did two rounds of that kit. I've also done a couple of rounds. This was back in the beginning. Uh, a couple rounds of, um, of uh, oh, goodness. Uh, one of the other stomach kits. I can't remember. Okay. I have done a fat, fat digestion kit. Okay. And right now I just got the GI Resolve and I've been taking that. And I'm one thing I'm quite wondering know about GI Resolve. Are you supposed to just drink it down quick or you sip on it or whatever you like? Doesn't um, matter. What what Okay. What digestive issue are we trying to work on this time? Well, I've I've never gotten rid of gas. I both upper and lower I Got go it. through belts of gas, um, and it just, I've taken uh, on Trontil two or three, four different times, um, and it will go away for a bit and come back. You, and as far as the lower end, I, a lot of it, I wonder if it's, you see the chew on my, snap my jaw a lot, just nervous reactions a lot. Uh, no, nah, I don't. I don't, I don't think. know if that's what causes the gas, or uh, I, I don't think so. Um, to, especially when we've got it throughout almost the entire di- digestive tract, upper to lower. Um, this is diet microbe right. related. Um, probably more micro. It's, it's microbe related, which is influenced by the diet. So um, today we talked all about microbes. That's really what's going on here. Um, you've got right. what we would call a mild case of dysbiosis. Um, you've got yep, a, and a can't bad thing to get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. You've got a bad mix of gut bacteria. It's not horrible, um, but it's, it's causing some issues. You may actually be a candidate for the new product, Atrantino Pro, when we, when we bring it out. Yeah. Um, I- I heard you talking about that, and I was I was going to get some when it comes out. Yeah, you may be a candidate for that. Um, you know, have you done a NutriQ? Not in a while. I have done one back a while ago, probably a couple, three years now it's been. Um, um, but, that, yes, I'm, I'm pre- preparing myself to do one. I, wanted, I want to establish some of my eating habits so that Lauren's got uh, some information there and uh, – I will uh, be doing that in the next month or so. That That's, you know, we could try to address an issue like this on the radio, but the biggest thing we need is it's like a food diary. You know, it, 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 if when right. I ask people on the air, um, it, it I know they're under pressure, they're nervous, they, you know, you can't think, it's hard to remember. I, I have a hard time remembering what I ate for breakfast, much less what I ate last week. <laughs> Actually, I used to say right. that. now it's easy to remember what I eat because I, the variety in my diet is, is way, way down. And the funny thing is, I used to think that I loved my diet so much because it had so much variety in it. I can eat anything and I, I'd love to. The interesting thing is my diet doesn't have all that much variety now and I actually like it more. Um, so it is easier for me to remember right. what I ate because I only eat, you know, so many things now, but it, it this is a, a right. the the first thing Lauren's going to do on this one is just really dive into a food journal. What are you eating? 
and that's why, like I say, that's why I was waiting. I've been very busy with other things outside of work, plus work, and uh, it's going to slow down here in the next month. So yeah, I'll the, have time to just sit and, and really the, pay attention to what I'm doing. The, the one question we could ask, um, are you eating a lot of fermented food? I make your um, cabbage topper, um, okay. and I ferment that, obviously. Don't you love and, that stuff? And uh, I eat that basically every day. I do. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I make it. I mean, I eat it just about every day, and I also have some fermented pickles that I did, and uh, we're still got some of those that I'm eating. Those are going to be running out shortly, but okay, good. Uh, and I've been, oh, actually, the other question I wanted to ask you about: I've been, I just started drinking uh, some, um, um, oh goodness, com, uh, com, kombucha. Okay. And I've been picking up. Is it the? I've been kick, picking up a few different ones. One of the ones I've been picking up a fair amount is, is Kavita. Yeah. Is that one you're familiar with? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So Kavita has three different lines, but they all say, I'm pretty sure they all say Kavita in big letter. Maybe not, though. Now I can't remember. So oh, there, okay. their three lines are, they have a true kombucha, and I, it probably says kombucha on the label okay. somewhere. They have what they call their okay. apple cider vinegar tonics, which I really like. Um, those are really good. And then the Kavita itself is actually a water kefir. It's not a true kombucha. It's a water kefir. Still good. Still excellent. It's just a different process and different okay. bacteria and yeast they use to make it. So that's actually okay. a kefir. Traditional kefir is cultured in milk, but you can also culture it in water, and then they just call it a water kefir. I actually like water kefirs a the lot. The one I had today is the kefir one. Oh, yeah. The one I, I had today is the kefir one. Yeah, I like those a lot. Yeah, okay. I'm just checking to make sure that they weren't, because it does say 33% juice in it, and that kind of, but. Well, here, yeah. My, my so, weight's not horrible. So here's here's the, the difference. So kombucha is cultured in tea. That's what makes it kombucha. Right. We, we put the, the SCOBY, right. which is a symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. Is that right, Lauren? Symbiotic culture? Yeah. Yeah, I think culture yeah. of bacteria and yeast. It's the SCOBY. It's a culture, yeah. Yeah. So we put that SCOBY in tea and it becomes kombucha. And then we have right. to add sugar. You have to. You have to feed that bacteria right. with sugar. It can be fruit juice. It can right. be honey. Water kefir is the same thing. And, and we also then okay. use those, those juices a lot of times to create the flavor that we want. Um, when we had Alana right. on earlier, we lost about 30 minutes of that show. Nobody heard it. And it may have been when we were talking about this and she was saying, oh, yeah, with kefir, you can make it taste like anything you want. There's one that, you know, tastes like Coca-Cola. And I said, well, I've got one that tastes like beer. So that's why we use the juices yeah. and the teas and those other things to create flavor. But if we if we process it right and long enough, the the SCOBY actually ends up eating most of that sugar anyway. Okay, I, okay, I understand that. Yep. So, I, you know, I would never take something off the shelf that was 30% juice and drink it unless it was a kombucha right. or a kefir because 
that's I know why it's in there, and I'm not getting all of that fruit sugar. It's already been consumed by the SCOBY. Well, unless they're adding it after they make the oh, food Oh, yeah, yeah. Good point, Lauren. So that's why you always and have to read labels. Like some of them do that. They do. Yeah, yeah I, I do that I feel a lot. Like a lot of them do that. I, I've seen some kombuchas with like 22 grams of sugar in them. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> that that was either I haven't added, gotten one that high yet. <laughs> yeah, it was either added after the fact or they processed it for a very short period of time. Yeah. This one had about 10 grams of, of uh, carbohydrates. I, some of them have 15 or so that I've been drinking. I because I don't worry too much about carbohydrates anymore, I'm I'm not nearly as sensitive to them, and I eat mostly carnivore throughout the day. Um, I still right. try to make sure if I'm going to drink kombucha, it's it's ten or under. That that's kind of my limit. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah, I was going to try. I looked it up the recipe for making some, and I was going to attempt that myself too. It, one of these, uh, it, one of these weekends. It's an interesting process. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> you know, I it, like it, interesting it, process. Yeah, it it it. In essence, all of these things are the same: fermented vegetables, kombucha, yogurt, kefir. It, we're putting bacteria into some sort of a base, giving it food, and letting it grow. I mean, that that's really the process. Right. Right. Yep. Um, yeah, I think that's all. I think, that's, I think which, you've answered all my questions. Which, interesting enough, we could go back to the start of alcohol, is the process is the same, <laughs> except instead of yep. using bacteria in it. Now, fermented vegetables use and yogurt use pure bacteria. Um Kefirs and kombuchas use a combination of bacteria and yeast. That's the SCOBY. Alcohol, we just use yeast. And when you feed... Right. And I noticed on some of the, I noticed on some of the kombuchas, it says on the bottom, uh, less than 0.5% alcohol. And I was like, yep. wow, I wonder if I should be drinking this. You know, we actually, we yeah. actually did a... We we tested this because drivers are so sensitive to, you know, you're not allowed to have any alcohol in the truck. You're not allowed to consume any alcohol. Right. And in the beginning, drivers got worried about right. this. Right. That's and, why and, I was wondering. Yeah. And we thought, oh, yep. you know, that's an issue. We should probably try something here. So one of our members was a fire chief, Brad um, Rustin. And he had a bunch of friends in the police department, so they got their breathalyzer and they got a whole bunch of different kombuchas and they drank all kinds of it. He said nothing they did would ever budge that breathalyzer at all. That's good to know. Yeah. It's very good to know. Yeah. Because I did question that myself. I was like, well. Yep. Yeah, well, he, don't uh, accidentally grab a, a hard kombucha because okay. those have been fermented for longer and they're that, intentionally going to give you a buzz. Good point. Good point. There are hard kombuchas on the market. Yeah. <laughs> really? Oh, I didn't even know that. So yeah. Often. yeah. They're oh, actually. Yeah, instead of having a beer. They're really good, too. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Now, does, that, does the alcohol tint? Well, I guess apparently it must not kill the bacteria then. No. No, no. it doesn't. No, I'm okay. So, ah. boy, two kill two birds with one stone. Yeah, there you go. The That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank you very much for everything you guys do. I, I've been following it. Um, I wish I could get my wife too. That's part of the battle at home is trying to get her into at least buying the food that I like to and reading labels for me, if not even for herself. But, um, yeah, it, it, uh, it makes that a little harder, but I, I persist. If, uh, <laughs> if somebody figures out a way to make this issue easier, um, we'll hire them. Yeah. I hear you there. I hear you there. I wonder, uh, <laughs> Definitely I, trying to get other people to do it is impossible. I, I have a new favorite author. I can't believe I've missed this guy for this long. He started writing books back in the mid-2000s, I think. Uh, he's got all kinds of books now. I, I, I've seen his name around when I'm looking at books. I don't know why I passed him up. Um, Lee Child and the Reacher series. Jack Reacher. Lee Child? Lee Child. Oh, yeah, it's actually on, uh, okay. they just started a series on, Net. no, I don't think it's Netflix. Maybe it's Amazon. One of the uh, streaming services. It's on one of those. We yeah, it. just started. I started to watch it. I'm going to go back and try it again because the books are so damn good. I wasn't crazy about the main character that they chose for Jack Reacher, but I may go back and try it. Maybe it'll grow on me. Um, but the interesting thing was the Jack Reacher series has 28 books in it. So I bought them all um, on my Kindle, and uh, they're so easy reading. They're like, you know, they're like the junk food of books, I think. They're like really easy reading. There's usually only like three or four characters in the whole book. There's only one storyline usually, but the guy is just an amazing writer. It's like I start on the book and I just can't stop. He comes up with really, really, you know, unique scenarios. Um, Jack Reacher is a, an ex-military cop investigator, so he's always investigating some sort of, but they're almost like giant world conspiracies and stuff. And normally when you get books like that, they get so complicated that they're just really hard to read. You know, but his are just, I don't know how he does it. He keeps them so simple, but they're really interesting. The reason I brought it up is we we're talking about the one problem we've just never been able to solve here is how do you get somebody to do this? You know, we all suffer the same thing. We oh, yeah. see the results we get. And what's the first thing we want to do? We want to share it with people around us, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. And it never works. In one of his books, no. <laughs> and it was, you don't know this till the end. It, it, and so I, I should probably say spoiler alert, because this is going to give away the whole uh, book. I was going to say don't spoil it. I know, but I, I have to. <laughs> so if, if I, I have to, I'm sorry. So the it's this crazy mystery of, of how whoever is killing these people, First off, why are they killing him was, was the, you're, you have the wrong idea through the whole book of why it's happening. But at the end, yep. it seems like it was, it, it's impossible to do what this person did to kill somebody. And I'm not going to tell you what that part is. That'll be interesting alone enough. But the only way it was possible to get these people to do what has to happen for them to die is they're hypnotized. 
Maybe so that's you suggesting that's what I should do to my wife? I'm thinking so. We've, <laughs> you know, we've tried everything else. Maybe hypnotism is the answer here. I don't know. <laughs> that may very well may be it. <laughs> I mean, when you read the book, you know, they, they claim when you're hypnotized, you would never do something you wouldn't do when you were awake. I, I don't know if that's really true or not. Correct. Uh, not in this book. Because they, they, he gets them to do something. It, you'll never guess what it is either. Never. I could give you a week. You're never going to guess what he gets them to do while they're hypnotized, but it's pretty wild. Well, I have to get those because I love listening to a lot of Right now I'm listening to uh, Real Food on Trial or something oh, like that. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. yeah. No, I know. Which, yeah. I'm um, way through that. Yeah. He, he really got slammed. Went through a lot of crap for nothing. Yeah. And, you know, even though these books are really simple, most of them are about eight hours long. I mean, these aren't really, you know, these are good sized oh, no novels. Yeah. Good sized novels. Just, uh, it's just a, just good a day great writer. Good day of listening in the truck. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, Lauren, we're, we're sending you to hypnotist training. <laughs> all right there you go Do it. all right casey anything else no that'll do it all thank right. you very much for you're welcome we'll talk to you again soon let's uh let's go to wisconsin ted welcome to the program hey kevin uh, I got a question um usually every year about this time i go to my doctor get my yearly physical done Last year, I went and got my physical done about a week earlier than this year. And yesterday, I got re- my, re- my blood test results on my cholesterol, and it's really high. Uh, and I can have... give you the numbers between both years. I have them in front of me. So last year, oh, my cholesterol on. was oh, 199. Hold on one second. I got to get back to my calculator. I can, <laughs> like I said, I can kind of do this in my head, but I'd rather just get the hard numbers. Um, you know you know what's weird? Do you want the hard numbers for each year or just um, go one down one year at a time? Hold on one second because I guess he's okay. Normally, Diesel doesn't try to go out until I end the show, but he's in here barking at me like he needs to go out. Um, <laughs> let me just tell him. I know. Um, I'm just going to see if Lisa can get him here real quick. I normally do it, and I, I love that part of my day, but... Um, I don't know why he's, uh, hold on. Um, I mean, it's usually time that you're wrapping up. So it's probably just he's sensing it. I, I, you know, it's weird. I, I think he just, yeah. this, today he knows what time it is and maybe he really needs to go. Normally he just waits I think for me. He does. I know. And normally if he waits for me and if I run a little longer, it's not a big deal, but he's like staring at me right now. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. I'm <laughs> Um, all right. Let, oh. Yeah. Give me the, uh, the first rounds of cholesterol numbers, total cholesterol first. Okay. So this is from last year, 199. Okay. Triglyceride was 87. Okay. HDL was 55. Okay. HDL is 55. Um, LDL cholesterol was 127. Okay. So, Again, before I hit, before I hit um, calculate on this, I'm gonna guess that you mm-hmm. don't even have any at risk ratios. Um, 
These numbers don't look yeah, bad. I, now, uh, now I know yeah. this was the older one, so let's run it real quick. Now, if we look at, I'm going to skip the, that, the the raw numbers, and I'm just going to give you the ratios. Your total to HDL is okay. good. Your HDL to LDL okay. is ideal, and your triglyceride to HDL is ideal. Yeah, those were all good numbers. Okay. So let's go over the new numbers. Okay, so... Okay, the new numbers, my cholesterol is 256. I actually like that. So My, triglyc- okay. Okay. my triglycerides, uh, 61. Oh, excellent. Okay, I think your, your yeah, ratios are going to get better. Go ahead. Uh, HDL is 68. <laughs> yep, that's an improvement. Okay. Uh, LDL is 176. Okay, that's the one where I'm going to guess... That based on everything else that is happening, you have improved every one of your cholesterol numbers, in my opinion. Your triglycerides went down, your HDL went up, and your total went up. I think those are all good things. When that happens, when we do look at the LDL profile, it tends to be a really good profile. We can't answer that right now, but I can give you your your ratios, and they are... They are all basically ideal now. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just don't know because uh, I'm, a, you know, they mark it on my on my medical sheet that I can get through my email that I'm high on cholesterol and high on oh, uh, my LDL from yesterday's blood draw. Yeah, but see, they and I don't the, want the, them to put me on medicine for no reason. Uh, uh, hey, wait a minute. What country do you live in? Yeah. Wisconsin, USA. It, nobody can make you take medication. Nobody. Yeah. Just remember that. Right. It, we, we, I, there are people who yeah. believe if they get a prescription, they have to go take it. I swear that's how they think. You do not have to take anything right. the and doctor says. And see, that's what happened yesterday. Do you want the COVID shot? No, I don't. Well, we got this great booster. We can give oh you all three God. today. No, I don't want that. Good. I told oh. her, I said, last, last. Yeah, I said last spring I got my shingle shot, and I'd like to get my second shot if I can today, and she did that. I don't mind the shingle shot. I just don't want to be itchy and rashy the rest of my life or have that happen to me. So let me... So let she me, was let fine me, with that, and she gave let, me that. Let me address that. Not just, you know, again, okay. everybody should make their own decisions about this. I like to throw in my decisions so people know. I like to be really transparent. Um, I actually got shingles once. Mm-hmm. It was horrible. I had a really, really okay. small area, too, just on one hand. I can't imagine mm-hmm. what these people go through that have big patches on their body or their head or their face. I've seen it, I, I can't even imagine. Oh. That little bit that I had on my exactly. hand was horrendous. Mm-hmm. Now, here's how it happened. This was yeah. before I was eating this way. We had... Mm-hmm just gone to and prepared for the Louisville truck show where I think it we might might have been one of the first years we had a booth and brought a bunch of employees with us I had multiple seminars to do every day uh, I had other appearances I was doing and we walked out of the Louisville truck show and I drove from Louisville with a detour up to Ohio either Lisa or I had to uh, it must have been Lisa because she had an Ohio license at the time, I think. Somebody had to renew their license, so we made a stop up in Ohio. And then mm-hmm. I made it to Washington State. I was the only one driving because it was the 
um, our truck and trailer. Um, I made it to Washington State in under three days. After all of, I was stressed. I was, my immune system was a wreck and I got a really a fairly mild case of shingles. We know that shingles occurs when your immune system is weak. Um, At the time, Mm -hmm. I was begging them for a vaccine because it it was fairly new and it was out. And they're Mm -hmm. like, well, wait a minute, you're you're actively infective. The vaccine isn't going to do you any good. Wait till it clears up. And then I I forgot about it, never did it. And now I, I, I personally would not take one. I trust see my, my wife. System. She has celiac, and yeah, see, my wife has celiac, and she got the shingles, just a small section on her right side, and the okay. same thing happened to her. She couldn't get the shots when right. it was going on, and once she had it, she decided she wasn't going to take it. But that's my whole question today is about this cholesterol. Anyways, I mean, I've, I've been eating carnivore for over a year now. Carnivore-ish. I, I've mixed keto into it because I like my steak there. I like some broccoli or green beans or something yeah. next to it too. Yeah. But I don't do any rice, no oatmeal, nothing like that. A typical breakfast like today was five eggs scrambled up with some avocado on top of it. Excellent. Yeah. 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 And I just, you know, these numbers, you know, know, I don't want to. Here's the thing. They're telling you to take a statin when I think you have excellent cholesterol. there's no, I I don't want people to take a statin when their cholesterol is a mess. We had a, were you, have you Uh been listening to the whole show today? I tried earlier today and then I lost you guys for a while. And then I just thought, well, I'm going to try and keep you and on right now. And then I found you. We had a caller earlier that had the worst cholesterol profile I have ever run through our calculator by far. Mm Mm-hmm. Every one of his numbers, the raw numbers and all three of the, um, or all four, no, three of the ratios, all of them were high risk, worst mm-hmm. profile I've ever seen. Do you think I said, mm-hmm. maybe you should go on a statin? No, I know no. you didn't tell him that. No, not <laughs> even in the worst case, I would never recommend a statin. We'll fix his numbers. We know mm-hmm. how. So when somebody comes along with an, an right. ideal profile, oh, hell no, I'm not taking a statin. Okay. Because, you know, here in Wisconsin, I found a farmer, I researched a bunch of farmers that, you know, they're regenerative, so I'm eating grass-fed beef. That's why you have such a great profile. Okay. But my question is, as far as, like, when I eat bacon, I'm just buying, like, a storm store-bought bacon or a sausage when I want some of that with my breakfast. Is that a big deal? I mean, all the salt and everything and in, in, in that kind of a food? What's wrong with salt? Nothing. I read, I read the salt fixed. And Absolutely. I don't see anything wrong with salt. So is there anything yeah. wrong with conventional meat? Yeah, there is. But how much bacon and sausage yeah. do you eat compared to the other foods that you eat? Uh, not much. So if your answer would have been I a lot, and for that. some people it is. For some people, drivers like to cook up mm-hmm. a whole bunch of bacon or sausage and snack on it going down the road because it's, you know, it actually makes a pretty good snack when you're mm-hmm. on the road. If you ate a lot of right. that bacon and sausage, what I would say is, well, go get good bacon and sausage then. 
you know, those those same farms right. that have pork and, you know, a lot of them, you can find super quality bacon, sausage, all of that. But if it's a small part of your diet, mm-hmm. most of the meat you're eating is good. I wouldn't worry too much about this. Just always know you could okay, make yeah, an improvement the- there if you wanted to. But I do the same thing. I mean, okay. most of, and every year I get a little better. You know, there was a time where. Mm-hmm. I just grabbed my bacon from the store, but, you know, my steaks and roasts and chops were the best quality ever. Well, now I've kind of progressed. Mm-hmm. I, I get bacon from those same places now, and I get sausage from those same places. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's an area you could improve. Okay. I wouldn't worry too much about it, though. Yeah. Okay, because this farmer I get the my meat from now, I mean, I get the heart the liver, all that stuff. I Excellent. throw the liver right into my chili Excellent. with all I the love. other stuff. Liver and chili is so good. It's such a great way to hide liver if you don't like it. Yes. Yeah. It, it is. My wife won't eat it, but she has no idea when she's eating a bowl of chili that, <laughs> that it's in there. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. The, a great way to hide it. It, it really is. Yep. Yeah, it really is. So, no, I, I, I can't imagine... You know, there's a whole lot you need to do to improve on. I think you're doing fantastic. Okay, yeah, because when I when I started this whole carnivore keto diet, I first went like three weeks carnivore. I was 192 pounds, and I just and I'm five foot ten, so I knew I had to be lighter than that. And uh, so the first three weeks, I, I went strict carnivore. Was eating basically nose to tail, and then. Uh, I lost about 10 pounds pretty quick. Yeah. So then after that, I started, you know, mixing in the vegetables a little bit here and there, but cut all the greens and the, and the oatmeal and all that stuff out of my diet. And I kept going, well, within a few months, I was down 30 pounds. And right now I maintain 164 to 166 for a weight. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? It is. I know. Yep. I love it. I feel better. I used to have joint pain and everything else. And took your advice and got rid of the grains and I don't have them kind of pains anymore. I know my feet used to hurt after driving all day and, and I just don't have any of that. No neck pain, nothing. Lauren, do you ever get tired of hearing this? <laughs> no, not no. at all. I, I welcome all the good, the I good know. turnarounds and all the good, yeah, the good info. It's yeah. so nice to hear. Yeah. Congratulations. And with all this too, Love I got it. it. I'm the only, yeah. And the only complaint to have is that X3 bar. Yeah. The only complaint I would have about that is if you have an old gym set and somebody wants to come over and buy it, don't have the X3 bar stand in there. And the guy <laughs> says, what is that? And you show him what it is because he walks out and leaves that machine behind and you don't get any money for it. That is he a, goes and orders one himself. So. That is a really good point. I love that. Oh, yeah. I love that. That yeah, is so, so great. Yeah. I, I, was yeah just, so I do like my resistance training and I do like to ride my bicycle. Awesome. I mean, that's what I do for exercise. Yep. You're doing all the right stuff. You are. Well, then I feel a lot better after this. You know, that uh, there's nothing to worry about here. Ted, how old are you? 55. Excellent. I'm on no medications at all. Yeah. I love that. Love it. Yep. 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 And that's what my whole goal is with this whole program that I've, when I started listening to you when you're back on the other station road dog. And that was my whole goal. I don't want to get old and have to be like my mom and dad. I'm medicine all the time and going to doctor's appointments. I want to be like you. I don't want to be 
beat the heck out of that 30 year old that throws that beer can in my front <laughs> lawn, you know, right. when he drives by. That's right. You know, yeah, I want to be that guy. Yeah, chase him down the street, drag him out of his car, and give him a little lesson in uh, in civility and manners. That's yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Throw that beer can in the back seat and let him go. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> All right, Ted. Great stuff. Okay, well, I appreciate your time. Yep. Talk to you soon. Okay. Uh, good. Lauren, we are uh, we're going to wrap this up. I think it's been quite a day. All right. It has. It's been a great, great day. It has. I'm going to make myself some lunch. I after had talking about some food. <laughs> I know. I had another kind of a big topic. I'm certainly not going to try getting into it now. I'm either going to record it myself. Or I, you know, I may even call you and say, "Hey, if you got some time, let's do this," um, or I'll save it till next Wednesday. I'm yeah. not sure. What reminded we me was he mentioned um, that old thing that I used to be on. I forget the name of it. Um, oh yeah, he said it was Road Dog. That's right. Um, turns out I've been getting all kinds of messages that like every show on mm-hmm. that channel now is heavily promoting this diet called Plantables. Oh, weird. Yeah, vegetarian. It's one of those meal what? service uh-huh. kind of things. Oh, uh, So you get all the food from them. So I, I do want to, I'll tell somebody my initial reaction. I dived into it pretty quickly. Clearly, I think everybody knows I'm not going to promote vegetarian. Uh, I'm not going to promote plant-based. Yeah, of course. Um, I believe we need to have a mm-hmm. lot of animal products in our diet. But I will say this. They did a hell of a job on their foods. If you were going to eat vegetarian, oh. you, I, if I were going to eat vegetarian, I would use this company too. I, I'm not going to totally bash them. I would never do it. I would never recommend it. I don't think it's a good idea. But they did a hell of a job. Mm-hmm. Um, my only complaint, it's a little grain heavy, but that's, that's typically what you have to do if you're going to try to eat plants only. Um, it is a little grain heavy. Yep. No junk, though. This is really, really super okay. clean food. No additives, no junk, no sugars. Um, the food looks amazing. I mean, it really does. And I would say this, that, and this actually may be a problem. This is kind of why I want to tell people about this. I could guarantee if a truck driver leaves the standard American diet for this diet, they are going to see huge improvements. Mm-hmm. They really will. Yeah. Short term. I believe months. it. Yeah. Temporarily. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And exactly. especially they have done a really good job of making this real whole food without any junk in it. Um, the other thing mm-hmm. about it, it's really attractive. You know, don't you love all the colors <laughs> of food when we do vegetables? Oh, yeah. It's beautiful, right? The, I love pictures of fruits and vegetables and all the colors. And they did go to their website. They do a beautiful job. Their food looks amazing. Mm. And like I said, it is. It, it, I would even. Now, the other thing is just damn expensive. It's like $175 a week, I think. If I remember right, that seems really high. It might be, though. Wow. That could be. That, and I can understand why. There's really, really high quality mm-hmm. ingredients, a lot of different vegetables. It's a, you know, this stuff's getting delivered to you. It's going to be expensive. I would say this. 
if a if a driver's tempted to try this, and I guess they're pushing it really, really hard on that channel, so I, I think they're going to have a lot of success selling it. Um, all I would say is, if you want to do that, do it. Don't stop eating meat. Don't stop eating animal products. You know that they have a they have either the full blown meal plan where you buy all your food from them, or they have an a la carte. Why not start off with the a la carte? Add some of their vegetable. And try to stay away from the grain heavy stuff, and keep eating animal products. And that that wouldn't be bad mm-hmm. at all. And honestly, if you're just in really bad shape and you're on the standard American diet and you really don't believe the carno or carnivore or keto thing is going to work, and it, it, go do it, you're probably going to get far better results than you are on the standard American diet. Yeah, I agree. So as much as I would, I, I really thought I was just going to totally bash them from start to finish, I, I really couldn't. They, they did a hell of a job on, if you believe that you should only be eating plants, they did a hell of a job of putting it together well. That's good to know. Interesting. Yeah, check it out. And then I'm let me know what you think. definitely going to check them out. Plantable. Right. Plantable. I will, for sure. All right. Anything else? That's all for today. That's all from for me, today. All right. We will uh, <laughs> we'll see you back here tomorrow. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.